Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. My co-host, Stephen Gillespie, is along for the ride on this episode. And filling in for Maxwell Baumbach, who isn't able to join us this week. That's perfectly okay. This was a timed absence. We knew it was coming. And it's only fitting that in his absence, we're going to talk about some NBA stuff. We're going to do our usual NBA season preview. I came up with this idea a few years ago, and it's always led to a collaboration with the overstated NBA show. We're going to do 30 questions for 30 NBA teams. We're going to preview each and every team in the NBA. Usually that means because we are all degenerates and sickos when it comes to basketball. <laughs> We're probably going to talk about the majority of the players on all these teams as well. Even though we only have one question, we always find ways to talk about everybody. So in doing this exercise with me for, I believe it's the third year in a row, yeah. Brett Usher is back on the Draft Deeper podcast. What's going on, Brett? What's up, man? Not a lot. It's good to be back. Yeah, uh, this is always this is always a ton of fun. And yeah, you're right. This is the third straight year that we've done this this preview in this format. So absolutely looking forward to it, man. Third third year that we've done this, Brett, I believe you've had a, a different third co-pilot each and every time we've done it. <laughs> I believe the first episode yeah. was with Cole. We got Jacob on last year and now Steven's in here to, to get some questions in for the NBA season. But there there really is. There, there, there are very few people. I, I would rather talk about NBA hoops with than Brett. And Brett always gets rave reviews when he comes on the Draft Deeper podcast. This man lives, breathes basketball. If you're not following him on Twitter, is your handle still at what? What is your handle? It's these a, days? Is it I Usher actually NBA? changed it. Yeah, it's just Usher NBA now. USHR NBA. This man, I swear, he's always posting on the for the man who didn't want to be on Twitter. <laughs> now he's on Twitter and he absolutely loves it. I see this man posting nonstop, giving his thoughts, his insights during games. He's posting clips. He's giving you the whole nine. So if you love NBA content, please follow Brett on Twitter at Usher NBA. Subscribe to the Overstated NBA show wherever you get your podcast. Him and Steve have been queuing up some divisional previews as well. So this is probably going to tie in perfectly with some of the stuff that Brett and Steve have been talking about on that po podcast feed. So if you like what we're talking about here, make sure you're subscribed over there and join the Facebook group too while you're at it. I still love everybody in the Facebook group. So yeah. that being said, let's hop into this. So 30 questions for 30 NBA teams. This is a two-part podcast. So you'll get two episodes this week as opposed to the normal one a week you've been getting recently. Split this into two episodes. Part one is going to be about the Eastern Conference. Part two, we're going to run through all the Western Conference teams. So we each split up divisions, and we came up with questions for each team in that division. So Brett wanted to do the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. Steven took the Southeast Division, which means I was left with the Central Division. But th that's fine with me. There's plenty of interesting teams in, in the Central Division. Steve, don't kill me. If I say anything bad about your Bucks, I apologize in advance. I don't think I'm going to say anything too bad about the Bucks. But spoiler alert, I would probably pick the Bucks to come out of the East to go to the NBA. Wow. If, I, okay. if I had to make a pick today, that's probably who I was picking. So I don't think I'm going to say anything bad. But we're going to start with the Atlantic Division because Brett is the guest of honor. I am not policing the order in which we're going through teams by division. So Brett and Steven and myself, we're free to ask the questions in each order that we want, but we will go division by division until we reach the end of this podcast. So Brett, I don't know where you're going to start, but 
kick it off, my man, the only way you know how, with a brilliant question. Well, who, who's first on the list? Man, well, when we determined which divisions we were going to do, it was quite a while ago. Like, you got, when we first decided we were going to do this podcast, you're just like, hey, what divisions do you want? And I think it was before everything happened with the Celtics. Oh, I'm pretty it was. sure. Oh, I think it was. I, I think a lot of me wanting to do the Atlantic Division was a lot of my optimism for the Celtics as being kind of a Celtics fan. Um, but hey, they're still uh, they're still an awesome team. But yeah, a lot has happened, uh, and I figure I should probably start with them. Uh, this was one like I could have come up with, you know, 10, 15, however many questions you want for this one because there's a lot. <laughs> um, but I think one of the big ones for me that that I'll go with is just what's their opening night starting five what mm. should it be slash what do you think it will be um because i think there's a couple of different directions they can go uh i know that multiple times this preseason they've gone with smart and Derek white in the backcourt yep and then jalen and then tatum at the four and horford at the five and you know that lineup makes some sense but you could also go with grant williams in the starting lineup uh with tatum playing the three and then bring White off the bench uh, with Brogdon. So I think there's a couple different directions they could go. Um, and that's one where I'm not sure which one they're going to go with and, and even which one might be the best option. So this is really, it, it, it's a question because of Robert Williams being out to start the year. Otherwise, we would see the, the Rob Will, Horford, Tatum, Brown, and Smart lineup. But because he's out, you kind of have to gauge where they're at as a team, right? Do they want to try and play quote unquote bigger? Do they want to keep embracing more of a smaller lineup? Now, Derek White was the team's de facto sixth man last year. Now Malcolm Brogdon comes in to fill that role. And he's man, is he going to fit perfectly with that team? I think everybody was given a, a round of applause for Brad Stevens when he was able to pull that deal off to bring in Malcolm Brogdon. I would agree with, the starting five that you gave Brett with white sliding in. Although I'm curious to get your take on what Grant Williams has done this preseason really. So it goes back to, he really stepped out of the box a few games during the postseason last year. And he announced himself like, all right, there is much more to my game than just hitting spot up threes and being a little switchable defensively. He was doing some stuff off the dribble offensively with them. He was involved in multiple different actions. He wasn't just, a spot up guy. And when we talk about starting lineups, usually it's not just about who's going to be able to potentially give you the best offense. Who's your, your, your tertiary creator. It's usually about let's get our two best guys in the starting lineup. Let's get a guard along with them that knows what they're doing. And then those other two spots, let's really focus in on what we can bring defensively. And Derek White's a good defender at the guard spot. I just wonder with what Grant Williams showed that he's, capable of offensively certainly last year in the postseason and then what he's been doing this year in the preseason I wonder if his size and physicality wouldn't give them a different dimension if they went with him in the starting lineup so is I I know you kind of listed off that starting five with Derek White Brett but it, how would you feel if they did go with Grant Williams in there I would not be opposed to it at all. I mean, Grant's one of my favorite players. Like he was, he was awesome, obviously uh, in the playoffs, especially against Milwaukee. Um, and uh, you know, he's, they're going to be a little bit more stout defensively. It's going to take some pressure off Tatum. Like that would be one concern I would have with starting Tatum at the four is like, you know, do you want him playing that many power forward minutes early in the season? Like we know it's something that he can do 
and and do well. Uh, and then the other concern with the Tatum at four thing for me is he played quite a bit of it uh, last season, uh, both in the regular season and the postseason. But the majority of those lineups, especially the ones that had a lot of success, were with Rob Williams at the center. If you look at the the Tatum at four and Al Horford at the five lineups, you don't see as much success. I think they actually had like a negative uh, differential in, in both the regular season and in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a relatively small sample. I think it was like 500 something possessions in the regular season, but they actually were like a negative two or something, which is pretty crazy when you look at the Celtics differential as a team, which was the best in the NBA. So, you know, maybe I, I like the idea of Tatum as, as a four. I mean, I think he can exploit a lot of mismatches there, but I think I like him better next to Rob than Al. And so, you know, with Rob out, I'm not sure. I would probably lean more toward playing Grant at the four and bringing Derek White off the bench, um, you know, to start the season. Like, I think you're going to close with Tatum at the four. But as far as the starting five, I, could, I see the argument for both ways, but I probably lean with, with Grant Williams at the four and, and Tatum at the three. Um, I'm kind of in that camp as well. I would, I would rather, you know... Uh, assert, I would rather the Celtics assert themselves physically and certainly have that, that level of intensity in their starting lineup from just a size perspective. Although I will say, Stephen, to, to get your thoughts on this question, if you would go with Derek White or Grant Williams in the starting lineup, their opening game is against the Philadelphia 76ers. So maybe that's why they're trying to trot out a lineup like this, because if you have Tatum at the four, if we're matching up defensively by position, that means he's going to be on P.J. Tucker defensively, which if PJ Tucker is going to be one of those guys who's just spotting up from the corner for Philadelphia to just provide spacing for everybody else, maybe that takes a little bit of a load off Jason Tatum defensively so that he can have more of that energy and reserve, you know, on the offensive side of the floor. But that matchup, notwithstanding, what, what, what are your feelings about either of those guys in the starting lineup? Yeah, I, I'm more of a fan of, of Grant being in that starting rotation and I understand the the intrigue and the thought process by having Brogdon come off of the bench, but I kind of I want to see him in the starting rotation because I think if you have a starting rotation of Brogdon, Brown, Tatum, Williams, and Al, you have five of your most high Q, high IQ guys on both sides of the ball on the floor at all times. You trust all of those guys as playmakers. You trust all of them defensively, and it's probably. I don't I won't say it's your most switchable defensive lineup because, you know, obviously White and Smart have, uh, you know, have Brogdon beat there, but he's still a really good defender um, positionally. I just think that the acquisition to a Blake Griffin makes it to where you can start both of these guys, you know, Grant Williams and Al Horford together. And then you have a guy like Blake coming in off the bench and you can probably play Blake next to either one of those guys in the front court, too. Right. So. That brings you a playmaker off the bench, you know, uh, a lob threat, you know, a post playmaker off of the bench to kind of help complement both of those other post guys. I just like the IQ aspect on both ends of the floor and the size and switchability that it gives you on a rotation by rotation basis. I don't think that there's a lineup that they can go against when they sport those five that they won't be able to match up ideally with. Steven laid out a really interesting closing lineup that could be utilized with Brogdon on the floor, along with some of those more potent offensive threats. Brett, if you were to put together a closing lineup for the Celtics, right? Your five best guys, everybody's healthy. What, what would that lineup look like for you? The Brogdon thing's interesting. You know, like certainly as far as the starting lineup, I've just kind of assumed, you know, it's, it's going to be Marcus. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you look at a closing lineup, um, something where you're really looking to get some offense, 
Brogdon's Brogdon would be pretty tempting to put in there. I think for sure I'd have uh, Horford, Tatum at the four, um, Brown, and then probably, yeah, maybe Smart Brogdon. I, I like that. Um, Brogdon, I'll tell you, like they haven't had a natural playmaker. I guess I'll describe him as um, mm-hmm. like Brogdon in a very long time. Like, nope. as someone who watches a lot of Celtics, as soon as I saw him get on the court in the preseason i'm like oh this is different this is a different look <laughs> this we haven't seen this the way he was just spraying the ball all over the court like finding people um i think he had like six or seven assists in the first half of his first preseason game and it was like oh okay like this is a new element like probably since rondo they haven't had a guy that's like that you know type of playmate guy i mean you know tatum's a playmaker in his own way but as far as like a, a distributor so yeah i think as long as he can stay healthy he's going to be a huge factor i like him you know i like him off the bench i think he could potentially contend for six man of the year, you know, if he, if he stays healthy uh, and, and I do like him in a closing lineup, I think I'd probably have to have him in there just because he's, he's such a good offensive player. I I do love that combination of smart and Brogdon. And then you have Brown Tatum and Horford. It's, it's a good combination of small ball, but also certainly plenty of defense because smart and Brogdon are both big in the backcourt. And then Brown and Tatum are both bigger wings with Horford still being able to man the five. That is a switchable lineup. That's a versatile lineup. I love the things that they could do on both sides of the ball with that closing unit. Before we move on to the next team, Brett, I have to just ask you about one of the young guys for the Boston Celtics. Because I I haven't watched a ton of preseason basketball for Boston. But sure. I was listening to one of Bill Simmons' podcasts the other day, and he was singing Sam Howes' praises. And that that made me smile ear to ear. Because I would have said to Bill Simmons, if you would have listened to the Draft Deeper podcast a few years ago, you would have heard me talk about a man named Sam Hauser, who I once said could be a poor man's Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what Sam Hauser showing this preseason and why there are so many Boston fans thinking that he could be potentially a, a sizable portion or a sizable piece, I should say, um, in Boston's rotation as the regular season rolls along. Yeah, I remember you being really high on him. I totally remember that. You know, that was probably the first I had ever even heard of him as somebody who doesn't really watch a lot of college basketball. I'm pretty he sure he was an was. older guy of Virginia, so he wasn't getting yeah. a ton of buzz as seniors usually don't in the draft space. But yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember you pointing him out. Um, look, I think he's a an elite shooter. You know, I mean, uh, and I think as far as his spot with the Celtics goes, like the we talked about the Rob Williams injury, which obviously you know hurts. He's going to be out at least a couple months. Um, but the Gallinari injury is another one. Yeah. He went yeah. down with an ACL shortly after they signed him, and uh, and they were definitely counting on him for some for some shooting. And that's I think where maybe Hauser steps in and fills a little bit of that void um, that where Gallinari was supposed to be their space in the floor. I think you know I don't think he's going to play like heavy minutes, but like you know I don't know maybe maybe fifteen minutes a game or something is in play for for Hauser. Uh, but I think he's going to be. I don't, if not part of the regular rotation, like certainly on the, on the fringe, I'd have to think about that, but, uh, but I think we're going to see plenty of them this season. And, um, and I think he could earn a, a larger role, uh, but I think that the shooting is something that, um, that this team can always use. Um, I think he, I think he fits in well with what they're doing. Um, but I, everything I've seen, I, I like from him and a lot of people that have seen a lot more of him than me are, are very high on him too. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer for sure. I'm excited to see what he can, what he can give the Celtics. Listen, man, we, we know that when it comes to the playoffs, the rotation strength, it's only seven or eight guys. That's fine. 
you have to get to the playoffs. And part right, of no. getting to the playoffs is having that regular season depth where you can go 9, 10, 11 men deep. If you're sitting a few guys for load management, if a few guys get injured, you need to be able to call upon those guys who you trust later on in the bench. And if Sam Howes is one of those guys for Boston who helps, I'm not going to say win them a game or two in the regular season, but helps swing the tide in their favor yeah. in a few regular season games to keep them up, the Boston's a team that wants to have home court advantage as long as they can in the playoffs. They have such an incredible home court advantage. We saw it last year in the playoffs. We saw that environment in the finals was absolutely ridiculous. Like they're not a team who I think is content settling for finishing fifth or sixth in the Eastern conference. They want to be up there among the top four teams An injury yeah. or two can derail a team at any time you always have to have guys who are prepared to step in and fill a role to continue to win regular season games. So I think that's a good way to describe what, what he could be for them. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. If they're fully healthy with everybody, he's not in the rotation, right. but when, when are teams ever fully healthy? You know what I mean? Whether it's, yeah, just some like load management or, or an injury or somebody's out a couple of weeks or something longer term, like he's gonna end up, you know, with a fair amount of minutes this season because, you know, no team is ever fully healthy and yeah, he's not going to be part of the playoff rotation, almost certainly assuming they're healthy. But like you said, you got to get to the playoffs. You got to, you know, secure that home court advantage. And based on the way the Celtics just went totally gung ho in the second half of last season, I think, you know, you're right that they do value um, getting that home court advantage, getting a high seed in the playoffs uh, that, that, 100%. Works, that works to their advantage. So, so yeah, man, he'll be, he'll be a guy that they lean on, you know, when they need to dig a little bit deeper onto the bench. All right, Brett, who's next on the list. Uh, let's go with uh, the other the other fun team in the Atlantic, uh, well, they're they're all pretty fun, but the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, <laughs> the, the, the other drama, drama oh, filled team, I guess. However you want. To I can't wait it. to see where you're gonna. That man, man, there could be some incendiary questions that come with the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. But. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think my biggest concern with them is is just their lack of size. So my mm. question is going to be, how do they attempt to defend Joel Embiid? Because like, look, if you're trying to if you're trying to make a run to the finals, in all likelihood, that road is going to go through Philadelphia. And if not Philadelphia, it's Milwaukee with Giannis or maybe Cleveland with their big guys like you have to be able to defend these big guys to do well in the East. And I think Embiid is kind of the most, you know, prominent, obvious example, because like so I just I, I, I like a lot of things about the Nets, but it's like, are we talking about Nick Claxton at? center or ben simmons at center or like is dayron sharp gonna make some big jump or are they gonna try to bring somebody in but like who would that be so it's like because like at the end of the day like they can have you know one of the best offenses in the league all this stuff a good record but when it comes down to it man and you're in the playoffs and you're going up against joel what do you do if you're the nets how do you approach that do you can you take advantage of your speed and quickness and switchability with guys like Claxton and Simmons and hope that that sort of outweighs and be dominating you on the other end. I don't know. I feel like he's going to run through those guys. And I think that's kind of their biggest question as far as like on court stuff, at least. So Brett, I think you and I are two of the very last people on the Andre Drummond Island at this point, but yeah. like, I think they're going to miss him a little bit just for that very he's a, reason. He's a big dude, man. He's just say a, what you want about him. He's a big dude. Just Hitting threes for Chicago too. What was he three of three for three of three, three the yeah. other night? Oh my goodness! Mm -hmm. I swear but to God, I was watching that game and I said, "Who is that guy?" Like I, I knew they signed Drummond, but I just like I turned it on right as he was shooting one. And I was like, "Who is that?" And, yeah. and I, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Drummond!" <laughs> it's raining him down. 
But, but I agree. They could miss him a little bit, man, just as a big guy that can play physically. He's not a good defensive player or anything, but, but yeah, without him, it's like, they have almost no size. Because that that's the guy you throw at Embiid. And if it's it, it, so their options, you, you laid them out really well. So it's Ben Simmons playing small ball five. And I think that just Embiid going against Simmons, that's just its own, its own grudge match in and of itself. Right. Like I, I can't <laughs> imagine saying Simmons bring getting, it on at that point. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine <laughs> Simmons getting the better end of that draw um, defensively, despite how incredible Ben Simmons can be defensively at times. Nick Claxton, he is not the biggest of bodies you can throw at Joel Embiid. Now, Nick Claxton is one of the best defensive weapons any team can have in the NBA when we're playing a switchable scheme, when you're not going against one of those bigger guys like an Embiid or a Jokic or a Giannis. Everybody else, give me Nick Claxton over a, a good number of big men you could throw out in the NBA. The last name you brought up is interesting. Dayron Sharp. Is he ready to take some sort of leap mm. on the offensive end where he can remain productive enough to play that that 12 to 14 minutes that you probably just need to you know because Embiid's going to draw all the fouls he's going to draw he's going to get Simmons in a little foul trouble he's going to get Claxton in a little bit of foul trouble is Dayron Sharp good enough to put him on the floor to draw those fouls because I I guess the last name would technically be Markeith Morris I'm not quite sure Markeith Morris is like the small ball big that you necessarily want to have in there either but to your point Brett I mean both both Embiid and Giannis. That's that's who the East is running through outside of Boston, right? So it's Boston is the collective, and then it's Embiid and it's Giannis, and it's it's pretty much everybody else. So you have to be able to at least stop the bleeding with one of those guys. I don't know what the answer is. I guess I guess they would try Claxton first. You'll see how that goes. Then you're probably gonna swap over to Simmons. You'll see how that goes. Then it's between Sharp and Morris. And if Sharp looks good enough, he'd be the big body I, w- I would want to lean on. But that's that's quite the conundrum, and it could put the Nets in a bind if they have to face the 76ers in another playoff series. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, so, I mean, Nate, you did a great job of running through him. I liked Daron Sharp in the draft process. I had him as a first-round pick. We know young bigs take time, though, right, especially in the NBA. It's a tough transition. And I'm sure there's a lot of teams that we could ask this question to. First off, like, who do you have to defend Joel Embiid? Um, Nate, you did a good job of looking at their current roster, but it's the Brooklyn Nets. If if things aren't working out, like, let's look at some of the names on free agency. If you want to keep the the, the crazy tra- train rolling a little bit, Dwight Howard might be a name that you look to sign. Um, he's, he's a big name. We know that Brooklyn hasn't been shy about signing dudes with some cachet. Hassan Whiteside is available. Um, I don't know if there's any bigs in the better potential buyout candidates that you might look for. And then just if you want to match Brooklyn, I think that's a bad, maybe that's a bad approach. Maybe you want to throw something at them. That's how are they going to answer you? Maybe that's putting Kevin Durant out there as your, as your five that Joel Embiid has to play against. And maybe you put him in foul trouble like that, because I mean, you, you have enough guards and you have a couple of forwards on this team that you can put out there that would require other people to guard them, especially if TJ Warren is healthy, right? So you might try to counteract. You might try to be weird. You know, don't match them body for body. Put them in an awkward position to where Joel Embiid has to guard Kevin Durant, especially in the regular season. What do you got to lose, right? So that might be my approach is try to give them something that they have to solve. 
Brett, does Kevin Durant have the body at this point to kind of match up in that way with, with Embiid? Is, isn't that kind of, is that kind of like a, a break the glass as, as a last resort kind of, kind of, kind of move? I mean, it's like, I like the idea of him at the five, you know, on the other end, for sure. I think we'll see a lot of that this year. I really do. I think mm-hmm. we'll see a fair amount too. of KD at the five, but like, yeah. Saw it last year. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, but I defensively, man, like it's just, you know, you'd have to have like a Morris or like, you just have to have another body like yeah. when you're, when you're going against a guy like Embiid or, or Giannis, like you just, you know, KD's an awesome help defender. Um, I just don't think you, you want him, you know, obviously like matching up against one of those, one of those giant guys. Like, so I, I it just, I, I like the idea though, of putting him out there and maybe like the advantage that that presents on offense, you know, outweighs almost like whoever's guarding MB getting killed on the other end. Um, his Embiid can't play the whole game. You know, he's, he's like a 30 minute, 30 minute guy. Um, he could get in foul trouble. Like you're going to have, mo- uh, you know, opportunities against that team, but just like when he's out there, that um, is true because the Sixers, I mean, they're, they're going to want to play a lot of small ball too, right? Like that's they can why they brought too, PJ yeah. Tucker in. And exactly. PJ, we, yep. we saw that the last, last night, they, they did not start Paul Reed. They didn't start Charles Bassey. They went with PJ Tucker as the starting center. So they will, they will do plenty of that. That's a good point, Brett. I like the uh, the white side idea though. He was kind of the guy I was yeah. thinking Aww. too. Where just like you know, just to have that option to yeah. go big against him, just to be able to maybe try a couple different things, uh, you know, in in a playoff series. Like you know, I don't th- yeah, like I, in the regular season, I, I I wouldn't be as worried about it. But but in the playoffs, just to have a guy as big as Whiteside that you know is a pretty good interior defender, good rim protector, all that. I mean, he's he's pretty established in that regard. Um, he was a good a- backup for Utah behind Rudy Gobert one of the best in the league. He really was um, that year. So yeah, I mean, uh, I would, I would, I would look to sign somebody like that. And then, you know, at least you have the option to try to match some physicality when, when you have to. And B versus white side round. I don't even know what we'd be on. Just you don't (laughs) got to tell me twice. He'll he'll get up for it though. You know, like (laughs) white side will get up for it. All right. Fair enough. So Brett next up on the list, buddy, who we got. Let's go with the Toronto Raptors. One of the most interesting teams in the entire NBA. Brad, I love that you commented on my tweet the other day. This well, your tweet kind of inspired my question. Like I I'm gonna take it a step further in what I'm gonna ask. Oh boy. Could this team win the East? Like regular season. Now, okay, couple things. They won 48 games last season. Yep. Okay. Miami won the East last year with 53 wins. Okay. So maybe this year, you know, you might need 55 to win the East. Okay. So it's not a huge jump in that regard. You know, you look at uh, the jumps that some of their players could make Scotty Barnes. You got to expect he's going to be better, right? Uh, you got to expect that a uh, Gary Trent probably takes a little jump, you know, um, Van Vliet and Siakam are not old by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it looks like precious Achua is primed. <laughs> for Handles. a major major jump yeah his handle looks sick and his three-point shots like who is this guy like but that's you know that was the appeal i remember when when he was being drafted was just like this so much potential for this never left my lottery my friend for for that reason so much potential. good call that's a good call man yeah um but anyway so it's like you know you have this team that won 48 games it's hard to say they didn't get better when you look at all those jumps that, that these guys could take, like at the very least, I think you're going to see big ones from Scotty and precious OG and Obi only just turned 25. He could still get better. Uh, and then you look at speaking of OG their health, like OG 
Siakam and Van Vliet missed a combined 65 games last season. Like you have to think at least hope that those guys are going to be healthier. Um, and then they got a little bit deeper. They brought in Thad Young last season. I think he's really going to help them. And then they also signed Otto Porter um, mm-hmm. and Wancho Hernan Gomez this off season. So they got deeper. You have to think they'll be a little healthier and their young guys are going to make jumps and they won 48 games last season. So it's like, is there a world in which this Raptors team wins 55 games and finishes with the one seed in the East? And they still have Nick Nurse, one of, one of the better have, coaches in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, no question. One of the best coaches. So, so there's a lot to like with this team. And like, I, I just, yeah, like you kind of talked about in your tweet, like I don't think they're getting the hype that they deserve, honestly. Steven, I, my, my question for you, piggybacking off of Brett's point would be, do, do the Raptors have a full starting lineup of top 75 guys in the NBA? Because, like, if you, look at it, if you look at it from that perspective, like, Pascal Siakam, to me, is a top 25 player, right? Like, is that, is that really up for debate? Easily at, top at 35. I mean, like, yeah. he, you might be able to argue him down in some circles, but, I mean, even just to squelch the argument, like, if, he, if there's a fantasy draft, he's getting drafted in the first round. He's a top and, 30 guy. And I think Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet are top 50 players in the NBA. And then they're, they're, the OG and is probably in that conversation for top 75. I think Gary Trent Jr. could get in that conversation at some point as well. So like they, there's the argument to be made that they have a starting lineup of five of the best 75 players in the NBA. That, that math doesn't equate out to every team in the NBA having five of the best 75 players in their starting lineup. We mentioned the leap that Precious Achua could make. They still have Chris Boucher on the roster. I love yeah. the Otto Porter addition. Malachi Flynn's probably going to take a jump as one of the better backups in the NBA. Delano Banton can add yeah. an intriguing dimension to that team. You still have Ken Birch deeper for more size. Like, yeah. it, it's not one of the best third third bigs in, in the NBA. Like, always a consistent third big. It's not the most conventional depth. Right. Like we, we don't we don't look at their bench and is like, oh, like they have like four killers just ready to sub in for everybody in the starting lineup. But if you actually evaluate their games and what they can contribute around some of these other starters, you go, I kind of see what the vision is. And it's really mm-hmm. they have some of these smaller guards, but everywhere else on the floor, God, size and length and strength everywhere. And they're just going to physically wear down teams night after night, particularly Scotty Barnes is just going to completely bulldoze through every single man who tries to guard him. And then Pascal Siakam's going to give it the other wrinkle, which is I'm just faster than everybody else in the court. So I'm just going to blow by you. So on one side, we're going to bulldoze through you. On the other end, we're just going to outrun you. So I love a lot of what Toronto's been building, Brad. I'm, I'm with you. I wouldn't pick the Raptors to finish with the best record in the East, but your question was, could you see it happening? Absolutely, I could see it happening. Steven, what about you? I'm going to be the, the wet blanket. I, oh. I don't see it happening. Um, here's why. I agree with you, Brett, that if this team is healthy, they should be able to. But one thing that we always – like forever ago when I hosted my own NBA podcast, I, I did a piece on Nick Nurse. And my case for him being coach of the year was because he coached the most <laughs> injured team in the NBA. And some of the some of the people are gone now, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Mark Gasol. But a lot of the 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 offenders, I guess, are still on this team. You know, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam misses time. 
you know, Scotty Barnes looks like he's going to be a well-put-together dude. But this team kind of always has nagging injury problems. And the reason why we know so many names on their roster is because so many of these guys have the opportunity to be trotted out there due to injury. Um, and also their half-court offense is notoriously one of the worst in the NBA. And it's because they're constructed to be a gnarly defense. And uh, because of their defense, they're going to force transition opportunities, right? So in order for this team, in my opinion, to be the top seed in the East, they would have to have like a de facto half-court threat. And they just have a bunch of half-court complimentary dudes. And that's great. Like, that's why they're always as high as they are. In my opinion, like, someone would have to emerge. It's probably got to be Scotty to be, like, the half-court threat. And this team just doesn't have it. Like, Van Vliet's a set-up, spot-up shooter. You know, Pascal Siakam's going to hurt you in the post if he has an opportunity. You know, Gary Trent Jr., another shooter. OG Ananobi, another shooter. Like, they, they just need, like, an isolationist on this team that they don't have. They're going to be a playoff team easily. I just don't see them as number one. You know, Brett, what, what Steven just said, I've heard that times before too, that they just don't have the, the workings or, or they haven't been a good half-court offense. No, not by any means, no. I really think that's prime to change, though, with Scotty Barnes's emergence heading into year two. He, he can be the key to really unlock all of that because – it's not just his ball handling, how he's bringing the ball up the floor and he's initiating some of the offense. It's all of the different actions that you can involve him in. He can be a playmaker out of the short roll. He can be a guy who, who's cutting and then you're bringing him off an action and then he's catching the ball off at DHL and then he's getting downhill. He's running some weird stuff with Pascal Siakam. He, there are many different ways that he can be involved to unmuck up a lot of the Raptors half-court half offense. And really to Steven's point, they just need that guy who's able to set a whole bunch of other dudes up. That, that's all they need because they have all the shooters around them. People forget Pascal Siakam is more than a capable three-point yep. shooter. We know OG, Gary Trent, Fred Van Vliet, they are all three-point snipers. Like They just need that one guy to make everybody else around them better. And that's Scotty's mentality to a T. He's not looking to score every single possession. So if Scotty does take that leap, do you think that we're, we're going to stop saying some of the things that we have been about Toronto's half-court offense? Yeah, I, I do think he would be the key to unlocking it, you know, um, because it it has been rough. Like, I think they – I was looking at it recently. I think they were the fourth or fifth worst team in the whole league last year in terms of yeah. half-court uh, offensive rating. They had, like, a I think like a 91 offensive rating in the half-court, something like that. It was, it was very much on the lower end. Um, but it's like they have a lot of talent. And yeah, those pieces just haven't fit together in a way to, to generate an efficient half-court offense yet. Um, I mean, I like some of the stuff Siakam can do, you know, in, in isolation. Like, but I, I agree. I think Scotty, Scotty would be the key in terms of just getting the ball moving and and taking advantage of those shooters. And then I think OG getting a little bit better as a shooter, like he he's still one of my favorite players. Like I, I love him as Same. a two-way player. I, I really do. I really believe in him too. And so much of it with him has just been injuries. Like, you know, if he could just have a full, you know, 75 game season, even, I mean, I think that would do him a lot of good just to sort of get into a groove. Um, because I think there's like a 39, 40% three point shooter in there for sure. I know last season he was, I think it was like 35, 36, um, but he's, he's a good shooter. So he's due he for could, a good year. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, he just turned 25. So he's still a young guy, uh, still has a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I don't think we've seen his, his peak yet by any means. I think the only guys, the only of their main guys that might be finished products are Van Vliet and and Siakam. I think the rest of those main guys can, can really continue to grow. Um, So that's kind of part of my optimism. And, And like, I'm not picking them to win the East, but I do think they could like, if, you know, if somebody came from the future right now, and said, hey, the Raptors won 55, 56 games and, and finished first in the East. I wouldn't be that surprised at all. No. You know, so um, so yeah, I, I think uh, but 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 yeah, if you can take that what they are as a defensive team, scheme versatility, chaos, all that, and you can take their transition capabilities um with all their length, and then you can get at least to like an above average half-court offense, then you might really have something and uh and yeah i'm with you i think scotty scotty would be the key for that so if we're going to be perfectly honest there's there's nine teams in the east that i count who if you told me that they finished with the best record in that conference it it, it wouldn't shock <laughs> me I'm, I'm not even kidding when i say yeah. that like that's how deep the Crazy. east is this year so we got to keep moving along we got to keep talking about some of that depth in the conference so brett who's next up Hmm. Let's go with the Knicks. Oh, you're going to say, save my Philadelphia 76ers for last. That's fine with me. So where, where are we going with the New York? I'm to generate hate. (laughs) (laughs) Knicks Knicks, Knicks for clicks, baby. The Knicks Knicks have been one of the more fascinating teams for me this off season, especially lately. Um, I feel like their stock is going up. I'll say that. Like, I know, look, I'm not going to read too much into preseason, but they've looked pretty damn good in preseason. I'm sorry. I feel like they got a good vibe going they don't uh, have a bad team they really no. don't have a bad might, team. other than the clippers i would say they, they're probably the deepest team in the league or they're, they're one of them you know what i mean if you look at like i put their bench unit up against almost anybody like they go okay. 10 deep no problem i don't even think tibbs wants to go 10 deep but they can and um so you know they're not they don't have the top end talent of a lot of these other teams but if you just look at it as a whole they're super deep uh but anyway my question um so last season they were 22nd in offense season before they were 23rd in offense, you know, they're going to be a good defense because of Tibbs and and some of the personnel that they have, like they're going to be, you know what you're going to get defensively for the most part. But I think the key for them is, uh, is, is becoming a good offense. Like, you know, if you can become a top 15 offense, even on top of the defense or or maybe a top 10 offense, like that would take them to where they really want to be. So Again, 22nd last year, 23rd the year before. My question is now with Brunson in the mix, how good can they be offensively? I'll put it like this. Can they be an above average offense? Like say top 15 in terms of offensive rating. Like, mm. Can they do that now with this team while maintaining approximately what they've been you know, defensively? That's a great question. So I would say the brunt of that would fall on Julius Randall's shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. Julius Randall cannot be a, an inefficient guy. Like we've seen it. Like we saw him at times last year and then dating back to the postseason run um, when, when they played the Atlanta Hawks two years ago in the playoffs, he, he can't be that guy living in the mid range, shucking up these awful jumpers and just wanting to beat everybody off the dribble. And when he can't beat somebody off the dribble, then just settling for that poor shot, he's got to get the ball out of his hands. Right. And maybe it's because they have somebody now like Jalen Brunson, who will be able to set everybody up on offense, who will put Randall in positions to succeed. Maybe that's putting the ball much more often in RJ Barrett's hands, which I think we saw more of that last year. Point Barrett's going to help 
um, mitigate some of that as well. I think for, for as much as we want to applaud Julius Randall for being a triple double threat, right on a night to night basis. I just don't know if that's his best role to unlocking the most efficient offensive self for him. And when you think about how this team's just going, th- this starting lineup's just going to lack spacing as it is, right? They're projected starting lineup. Brunson, we know he can shoot. That's fine. Fournier, he's on the floor for quite literally one purpose. He can shoot. That's fine. Barrett has to keep taking steps forward as a spot-up shooter. Julius mm-hmm. Randle is not a knockdown spot-up shooter. Mitchell Robinson doesn't do anything outside of five feet and in from the basket. So yep. you can talk about starting Obi Toppin at the five to maybe do some interesting things offensively. Isaiah Hardenstein's going to help um, bring, bring a little bit more offense to that starting lineup, but he's not the a, a quote-unquote knockdown shooter either. They're going to have to really do a lot of experimenting with different lineup combinations this year and lean on some of those younger guys. Lean on Obi Toppin and Quinton Grimes and Emmanuel quickly to actually play them minutes to take advantage of their long-range shooting ability if, Brett, they want to take a few leaps up offensively. So I guess, Steven, it's a question back to you. Is Tibbs actually going to trust some of those young guys? Because that, <laughs> if, if it's not Randall then the young guys are the answer. And I just don't know if Tibbs is going to lean on some of those guys. As he Yeah. Should. I think my answer to Brett was going to be, could they? Sure. Are they going to be? I don't think that Tibbs is the uh, conventional offensive mind that would be able to allow that to happen because he's not going to play um, a contemporary lineup. You know, if they, if they could run Brunson, Grimes, RJ, Toppin and Randall I think that's an offense that you could support being out there and give you that top 15 level offense because Grimes and Barrett can play defense and that's pretty much it you know like Randall I would love to see him like really assert himself on the defensive end as like a small ball five and then Toppin we've seen a couple highlights of him playing passing lanes and blocking shots so it I'm sure that if you put him on the floor in meaningful minutes, he'll be very appreciative of that and probably give you maximum effort, right? So it would be interesting to see them be able to run like a fun lineup like that where you can even get some playmaking out of an R.J. Barrett and run some fun cuts with your wings that you have in a spot up, you know, a guy who can hit some spot up shots in Brunson as well. So I would love to see it. I would love the Knicks to have a top 15 offense because I think they have the personnel that can do it. It's just how much of that defense is Tibbs willing to relinquish to make that happen? I think that's the, that's the question. Brad, what's your answer to your own question? How, how can they get there? Yeah. I mean, I do think they have the talent, like Steven said, like if you just look at these guys, like it's like Jalen Brunson, really good offensive player, RJ Barrett, really good offensive player, Julius Randall, really good offensive player, Obi Toppin, awesome cutter, awesome in transition, showing to be an improved shooter. Fournier shooter, Grimes shooter. So like quickly shooter, awesome offensive player, Derek Rose, Rose, like Hartenstein, one of the best passing big men in the league, starting to show flashes as a three point shooter himself. So it's like, you've got like, they're almost all good offensive players, but then like collectively, they just don't project. And and I'm glad you, I think you guys both nailed it um, in bringing up the lineups. Like if I hadn't brought up the lineup question, with the Celtics, the, the Knicks was going to be the one I was asking about. What's their starting lineup? What's their closing lineup? Because there's so many questions. And yeah, it's like, is Tibbs going to be willing to to mix it up? Like, I mean, I think Grimes should be in that starting five. Oh, like, without like a to, doubt, he should I be. Think, I mean, I think, Ob- and I know it's not going to happen, but like, I think Obi makes a lot more sense next to Brunson and Barrett than Randall does. Because mm-hmm. like Randall, Brunson, and Barrett, in a sense, like if you squint, are almost like different versions of the same player. 
not just that they're all lefties, but like, I think you would need a guy next to Brunson and Barrett like Obi that doesn't need to have the ball in his hands. Doesn't need to have plays run for him. Kind of like an opportunistic player, an unselfish player, like somebody like that. Like he'd be, he's actually like the perfect guy to put next to those guards and they have him, but it's going to be Julius Randall. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think if, it, if they had a different coach and maybe these players were on different contracts or, or something like that, they, they could, they could definitely put together the lineups to be one of the better offenses in the league. But as it stands, it sounds like that starting five is pretty locked in. Um, and I just think their bench unit's going to continue to kill people. Like they're going to have one of the best bench units in the league. Like they always do. When you look at their lineups, their bench units always have by far the best net rating, everything. Uh, and that's a real strength for them, but it's just like, how much are those guys going to play? Cause at what point, like, you know, you drafted Obi as like an older rookie that was you know supposed to be mm. like one of the most nba ready guys in the class you the don't play pick. him yeah mm. the number eight nine pick overall doesn't barely play his rookie year plays like 16 17 minutes a game his second year now he's like almost 25 and it's like when when are you gonna like play this guy like what was the thought process there um so it's just like I, I like a lot of what they have, but there's also just a lot of frustration. Like, and all Knicks fans all seem to be on the same page with this too. Like play the young guys. Like mm -hmm. they love quickly. They love Grimes. They love Obi. Um, they, they don't love Fournier. They don't love <laughs> Randall. Like it's, you know, I think this is going to be one of those things that the fans are just totally right about, but for whatever reason, it doesn't happen, at least not this season. Um, so yeah, they're, they're an interesting team though. Like I'm not, I don't know. I feel a lot better than I did about them like a couple weeks ago, even just I, from what I, I've seen in the preseason. I think the around. main issue with the lineup construction is that Obi Toppin's not that ideal defensive partner to no. have with Randall on that side of the floor because Obi, at least to Mitchell Robinson's credit, like you can play legitimate drop coverage with Mitchell Robinson and he's going to go out there. He's going to protect the rim. Obi's not healthy. that same kind of big when he's healthy and if you flip that around, if you want to do a little bit more switching, Obi's not the kind of big that you want to have out there in a switchable scheme either. So it's kind of like, what, what do you do with this guy defensively? Do you trust Randall to play him enough at the five with Obi top and really at the four kind of trying to, I don't want to say hide him on defense, but in, in a sense you're, you really are trying to hide him. So I, I don't know what the answer is there. No, I think Obi, from what I heard, I didn't watch a ton of Knicks basketball last year from, from what I heard, People were talking about Obi Toppin did get better defensively. I wonder how much better can he keep getting on that side of the floor? Otherwise, my my lineup, Brett, to answer your question, my, I would love to see a Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, uh, Toppin, Randall lineup. That would be yeah. what I would want to see yeah. from an offensive standpoint. I think the high-low game, when we talk about putting the ball in Randall's hands to play make for others, the high-low game with him and Toppin could be really interesting. Yeah, um, you, you, you get... You, you get Randall involved in a short roll, and then all of a sudden you have uh, Obi Toppin right there in the dunker spot. He's going to finish those lobs. I think, I, think Hart, of, I think Hartenstein can, can be that guy too next to Obi. Like I think, yeah. I think those two are going to be going to be a killer pairing with just Hartenstein's passing ability out of the high post and, and Obi's cutting ability. Like I, I just hope that I, hope I think Isaiah is Isaiah's better than Obi Toppin defensively too. So oh yeah. He's a, he's a legit. Oh, he, he's a yeah. very good rim protector. No doubt about it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's an excellent rim protector. I think if you look at like at rim uh, defensive shooting percentage or whatever, like he was like right him and Mitchell Robinson, I think both were in the top 10 Hartenstein might've been top five last year. It might be kind of a noisy stat, but he's a capable rim protector. So yeah, love their bench. Not so sure about what the rotation is going to look like, but, um, but yeah, they will be a damn good team if they can, 
figure it out offensively. They could be. They could be one of the top four teams in the East, or they could be one of the four worst teams in the Eastern Conference. I don't know which way it's going to go. But put them in the middle. Put, put them in the middle somewhere. <laughs> That's right. All right, Brett, just do it. Hit me with it. What, what do we got? Hey, I, I, I'm not hating by any means, man. I'm very, I'm very high on your boys this year, man. I think they got a lot better. Um, I, you know, I, I think they went from probably one of the shallowest good teams in the NBA to one of the deepest over this off season. Like all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like last year, I was almost like, that's like their biggest weakness is kind of like a lack of depth. And, uh, mm-hmm. and now they're pretty damn deep. If you look at them, they also got tougher. They got more athletic. Yep. So I'm, I'm feeling good about them. Um, my question is kind of a simple one. Um, should Joel Embiid be considered the favorite to win MVP this season? Should he be the favorite? Yeah. Should he be the favorite? Like if you were putting money on it or whatever, I don't know what the odds are right now. I'm sure he's up there, but like. It's his time, man. Right. Like, isn't it his time to win the award? What in, in his own words, like what more could have he done last year? To, to win the MVP, right? Like, is Jokic going to get another one? Is Giannis going to get another one? Is Luka going to finally step up and get his first MVP? Like, those are the contenders for the award. Should Joel be the front runner? I would say so, because you know, as long as the games played are there, the statistical production is going to be there. You talked about all these other pieces they have around Joel and B. This is one of the deepest teams in the entire NBA, if not the deepest. I think the regular season wins are going to be there, right? Like this team is going to figure out how to manufacture wins with or without Joel Embiid on the floor, because I think Harden's going, maybe Harden's not the James Harden that of old, right? But I think he's going to be good enough with the leap that Maxi is just primed to take. This, I cannot say enough good things about Tyrese Maxi. Like this brother, to quote Stephen A. Smith, this guy is on another level. I mean, you see him last night in the game against Cleveland. He comes out. Those two threes he hit to start the game. You just see announcers just going, what, what are we about to see tonight? Like, is this guy ever going to miss from three-point range again? Like, he has become that much of an offensive weapon to where he's going to average. I, I really do think Max is going to average over 20 points per game this year. I think Harden's going to average over 20 points per game this year. And Bede's probably going to be in the 28 to 30 points per game range again this year. That's like 70 points with three guys right there. You still have Tobias Harris. You still have PJ Tucker is going to hit open shots. The Anthony Melton looks like he could possibly be in the sixth mm. man of the year race. You still have Corkmaz on the bench. You still have Paul Reed. You have Niang. You have Daniel House and Montrez Harrell. Like, there's just too much talent, in my opinion, for this team not to win at least 58 games during the regular season. That to me, that seems like a good number for me. 58 and 24. I think with how good the rest of the conference is, a lot of these teams are going to beat up on themselves. I think that's probably the number it's going to take to win the con. I don't think it's going to take 60 wins to win these things. It's going to be about 58, 59, 58 and 24 would be not my number for the 76ers, which is who I would pick to finish first in the Eastern conference, probably with Milwaukee and Boston right underneath that. But if they finish first in the conference, Brett, how can you not give Embiid the, the award if the games and the productions there? So that, that's my answer. What do you think, Stephen? I think it's possible. If it doesn't happen this year, I don't know if it ever will. I mean, let's consider, though, that you just gave off, you know, you, you mentioned Jokic earlier. You're going to have Kevin Durant 
in the, in the same conference in the same division making noise. You're gonna have Giannis, who has been a mainstay, and voters might be like, okay, like we gave you a little break of not being able to win the award, even though you're the best player in the NBA, like by far. So he's gonna be in that mix. And the other thing to another thing to consider with everything that you just said, Nathan, is that. 70 points on a per night basis between those three is a lot and it seems possible, but how likely is it, especially with Maxi rising up? And then you're talking about James Harden potentially being your third best player. I don't know if he's going to have the numbers like I want him to. And I'll say for the sake of answering the question, I think, is he the preseason favorite? Yes. And like everyone has already been talking about, he's been clamoring for it. Right. So like the, the noisy wheel is going to get the grease, I think in the early season going, but I don't know, man. Like, it's just this is the most talented the NBA has probably ever been. And we got guys who are going to make a jump, too. You got Luka. You got Tatum, again, in the same conference, in the same division. John Morant's going to be making noise. Anthony Edwards might be like a dark horse MVP candidate, depending on how good Minnesota looks. So I don't know. Like, I'll give him the preseason nod, but I would not bet money that he takes it because he's also got the injury history as well. So it's. A lot of things working against him, but I would like to see him at least walk away with one in his career based on how talented he's been up to this point. Brett, I need your answer for the question because you're the guy who you're going to be doing 82 games and plenty more of NBA watching this year. You're not only going to be, you know, taking catalog of everything going on in the league, but you're also, you are one of the better historians and and that, that I personally know. And you, you do a great job of tracking who's won awards prior. What does it actually take to pump out an award season from some of these guys. So I, I know nobody else who I trust more to give me a breakdown of the criteria that you think it's going to take to win an MVP award this year. And for me, I just feel like you're about to say he's going to check some of the same boxes, Nathan. So is, is he your favorite? Yeah, he'd be my pick if I had to pick one. I don't think it's like a runaway, like clear, heavy favorite or anything like that. I mean, I think Luca is another guy that gets talked about a lot. If Dallas, you know, finishes even like top four in the West again, like then you've got uh, you've got a pretty strong case for Luca because you know, his numbers are going to be absolutely insane. And people can point to his supporting cast as maybe not being as strong as some of the other ones, a little bit of the Jokic argument um, where it's like, Hey, they're this good despite his supporting cast. Like they were a six, six seed and he won it. Um, I don't, it's the Jokic thing is interesting just for a little tangent. It's like, I mean, the consensus is kind of like, there's no way he's going to win a third straight MVP, but it's like, he won it as a six seed. What if Denver, you know, wins the West, then how do you not give it to him? Assuming his production is the same Giannis. Yeah. Giannis is definitely due for another one, but like, I think Embiid is one of those guys like, and there's been some great players who have never won an MVP, but I think, uh, I think Embiid is one of those guys, like he's too good of a player to, to not finish his career with one. And I think you could make an argument that over the last two seasons, he's been, the best player in the league on like a, a per game or like per minute basis. You know what I mean? Like when he's on the court, I think he's been as good as anybody, certainly last season. And um, there are durability concerns. That would probably be the thing that does him in. If he yeah. only plays 48, 50 yeah, the game, games, the games have to be it. there. Cause, cause Jokic is, Jokic is going to play like 70 yeah. plus games. Giannis, Giannis is going to play Jokic. 68 plus games. Steph Curry, you know maybe. Yeah. Right. Luca. There's so many, like it's not, the league is crazy right now. It's not just like the talent depth. It's like the top end is crazy too. Like there's just an unbelievable amount of like genuine, like superstar players. Um, 
But one thing with Embiid is like last season, he, you know, I forget what his games total was, but I know it was like on the lower end for MVP, but most of the games that he missed were because of COVID. So like, and I've seen it pointed out a couple of times, like, oh, he can't stay on the court. He missed this many games last year. It's like most of those were for COVID and not like an injury. So he was actually pretty durable last season. So to kind of answer your question, Nathan, like for him to win MVP, I think Philly, yeah, 50, you know, 54 plus games, like say, I'll say top two in the East. I won't say they have to win the East. Um, well, I'll say this, if they win the East and if he can average, you know, 27 and 11, something like that, uh, and play, you know, 68 plus games, I think he wins it. But and shoot, uh, better, oh, shoot better than 50% from the floor too. Good. That, I, that, that's the only thing about him that just ruffles my feathers. Yeah. That dude. Yeah. <laughs> He just it takes can't a lot of jumpers, more than fifty percent. Yeah, he takes too many jumpers. Go ahead, Steven. So you said that he can finish second in the East and win. Who has to be the top seed in order for him to still win? Because I don't think right. it can be Milwaukee. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That that's where it gets. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just I'll play it a little safer and say he needs to win the East to okay. win it. But like, I mean, I think Philly has as good a chance as anybody to win the East. They'd probably be my pick. I think I'm with you. I, on I like that. Philly a like, lot coming out of I think these. They, I think they'd have to be my pick right now. I mean, it's easy to talk yourself into a few of these teams. Like, that's just how it is now. But, like, I'd probably pick Philly. So, I think in picking MB for for MVP, like, that's that's a big factor in it, obviously. So, if he's putting up those numbers on the best team in the East uh, and he's mostly healthy, like, like you said, man, the squeaky wheel, like, he that it's out there. Like yeah. whether we like it or not, like he's been talking about it. It's out there. We know he wants it. And, uh, and I think he's due for one. So he'd, he'd be my pick, but he's not like an overwhelming favorite. There's just so too many superstars. I guess, I guess this is just the part in, in the podcast where we just, we, we do the MVP run through and we've talked about, you talked about MB. We've talked about Giannis. We've talked about Jokic. The one question, Brett, I have for you about Luca. I'm curious to get your answer on this. If Luca averages a triple double, <sighs> Have we gotten past the point where if the Dallas Mavericks are like a sixth or a seventh or an eighth seed, you, you th- that he won't get the MVP award or, or, or are we still like, we're still going to be infatuated with the triple double. Like if the Mavs, if the Mavs find themselves in the same position as Russell Westbrook was with the thunder, they finish as right. the sixth seed. You think Luca is like, you got to yeah. give this guy the MVP award, or do you think he's got to finish top four or, or better in the West? If they finish the triple double, if they finish sixth, above the play-in which is a thing now and that, that, uh, that is a thing <laughs> it is like it's like it pops up in so many conversations talking about standings like wait by playoffs do you mean play-in or not okay but if they finish above we, the we, play-in, we we no we adhere to those rules we top top six are yeah. finishing the playoff race yeah it's, it's definitely like there's a bigger um a bigger like differentiation i guess between sixth and seventh now than there was before like just because of the play-in you know, but, but anyway, if, if they finish sixth, which the Nuggets did last season, uh, I'm pretty sure. And he averages a triple double. Yeah. He probably gets it. Um, I think they want to give him one. And uh, I, a lot of people like him. I mean, he's, he's going to get votes. And I like, cause I, th- I think he's going to average triple double. I, I really well, do. I think it depends really on good. how whiny he is on the court while doing it. If he goes <laughs> yeah, like James that Harden, down, Chris Paul. Yeah. Like he's, he's already at attacking the level reps. He's yeah. ba- he's as bad as anybody with that. Oh, yeah. He really oh, is. Yeah. He really he's it's it's almost it, it annoys me. Um, but I'll say this though about averaging a triple double, like it, it seems like it's kind of like played out, like it's lost its luster because of Russ. 
And like, if Russ were to average another one this year, people would be like, ah, it's just, yeah, he averaged a triple double. But, but like, if another, if a different player were to average a triple double, I think it would be a pretty freaking big deal again. Like, if Luca were to do it or whoever else, like, I don't know, I don't think anyone else really could, but if Luca were to do it, um, I think it would be kind of like a, a, a big, fresh deal again. And I, I, I really think he it is. It would probably be he's got, That would be crazy. What, what was he last year? Like, not. Eight, it was eight very close i think it was yeah. like yeah it was like yeah exactly it's eight eight nine and nine i you know the scoring is going to be there the passing i really do believe is going to be there for for 10 plus because of Jokic the number of shot makers too. he's yeah. going to have around him and the rebounds lucas team staggered in a very similar way to russell westbrook's thunders teams are like everybody else is playing so far out or they want to just get up the floor that luca Luca can crash the glass and just easily get that rebound, or he's getting a lot of long rebounds. Like the production's going to be there. I think he's going to do it because I think he's coming in in the best shape of his life to start an NBA regular season. I, I, I call call that a bold. I don't even is that a bold prediction? If he averages a triple double, do we consider that bold? Like you said, he's been close, but but he's been very close. But I do think it would be a big deal, just like something about that. You know, those nice, even numbers, those double digits, like it, it would, it'd be a pretty big deal. Probably gets him the MVP. But the thing with Luca is like, he's, and we'll talk about him more tomorrow, I'm sure. But like, he's got a, as far as the MVP stuff, like he's so young that yeah. I think yeah. voters are like, he's got a lot of time to win it. And it's like, maybe if it comes down to him and MB, they might be more inclined to give it to MB who like, like you said, Steven, if he doesn't win it this year, then maybe he doesn't get one. Not that he's like declining or anything yet, but um maybe there's just more people on the rise right there's Mm -hmm. more players ascending into that realm exactly but uh but yeah Embiid would be my favorite but I think Luca would would probably have to be the the second favorite there's been a lot of buzz about about him I think he's probably the betting favorite in Vegas excellent questions Brad you did the Atlantic division justice so thank you (laughs) thank you for asking those questions now you get to step into Steven's role along with me get to answer some Steven it's your turn to ask them, my friend. You Southeast Division, I don't yeah. know where you're starting. I have no idea what questions you're going to ask. That That's the other fun thing about this podcast. We don't share questions with each other no. up front. I, I want to be surprised and have to react <laughs> on air. So, Stephen, you're up, buddy. Where are we going first? Yeah, so representing the Southeast, you know, I'm stationed down here in Georgia. Um, that has a little bit to do with it, but I'm, I'm a nerd. I just went alphabetically because I'm not creative at all. But we'll uh, we'll start here with the Atlanta Hawks and look with the players that they've drafted with the players that they've traded for with the idea that they're altering their offense and trying to revamp their defense, depending on playing time of guys like Onyeko Okongwu and DeAndre Hunter. How hot is Nate McMillan's seat? Should he be on a hot seat? That How hot is the seat if the if the team stumbles out of the gates? Let's say they they step out and they're like. 10 and 19 something like that right like their first the first couple of months in is is Nate McMillan still around at that point Brad what do you think this is an interesting depth chart to look at I know exactly why Steven's asking that question what do you think yeah I mean I think the expectations are going to be pretty high for this team like certainly considering what they gave up for DeJounte Murray and um and the disappointment of last season and just like I would say his seat gets hot real fast if they stumble early. Like I, I think the buzz comes out that it's like, yeah, that, uh, you know, he, he could be on his way out. I think, yeah, I, I don't think there's a ton of, uh, a ton of leeway with him right now. Like, I think they, they must like him. Um, I don't know. I've never been a big Nate McMillan fan. 
um, at all. I did, I, you know, I lived in Portland when he was coaching there. Um, I didn't like what he did in Indiana. Like he just seemed like that guy that might get you to the first round, but just not a super creative coach. I don't know that he's like the best guy to have, you know, to sort of optimize Trey and um, with some of the pieces they have. So yeah, I could see him. Uh, I could see him getting canned if they, uh, if, if they start to stumble, you know, maybe somewhere around the midpoint of the season. I would agree because I think the talent that they have on this team is just too much, right? So your starting lineup, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella, then your bench, your primary bench who they're going to look to in the playoffs. Bogdan Bogdanovich is still there. Onyeka Okongwu, I think, is primed to take a major leap forward for that team as their primary backup big. You have Aaron and Justin Holiday still there. And then some other young guys waiting in the wings. Jalen Johnson might get mm-hmm. some run in the regular mm-hmm. season at different so. points. Could we see a little bit of AJ Griffin in the second half of the regular good season? Shooting get some in run? preseason. Yeah, he sure does. He looks, Steven, he looked good physically in, in the yeah. preseason. Like he looks like he's actually slimmed down in terms of weight. Like he looks slimmer. He looks ready to go, man. So mm-hmm. they have not only quality depth, they not only have one of the best starting lineups in the entire NBA. Then you have some really interesting young guys to tap into at different points of the regular season. Yeah, the, there's too much talent for this team to be bad. I'm, I'm sorry. There just is. Like when, when I said earlier I could see any of nine teams winning the Eastern Conference and having the best record in the regular season, Atlanta was obviously one of those teams. Right? Mm-hmm. Atlanta, Brad, where, where do you think that they're going to finish in the East? Like I, I would probably have them pretty comfortably inside my top six somewhere yeah they could finish top four in the eastern conference they're a really tough one man the east is tough like there's that there's like a i feel like there's like a second tier of teams that's like i don't know five teams or something and like i mean if i were picking right now i would say top six for the hawks like i'm a believer uh but yeah they could very easily be a playing team um but yeah, I mean, I, but I don't think there's any question that the expectations are high and, and there's a lot of disappointment from from last season. And I just checked real quick because I was a little hesitant because I wasn't sure about Nate's contract. And so they last summer, they signed him to a four year contract, yeah. uh, which, you know, that doesn't necessarily stop a team from firing a coach. But also that's it shows that they like him. Um, and maybe that's changed a little bit between last season and say a slow start this season. That could be enough. Um, but uh yeah. And then it's like, but then, yeah, you look at, well, what, what are the expectations? Like what would be considered like a, a major failure? Like if they're uh sub 500, you know, a couple games below 500 midway through the season, would that be enough to say, Hey, we need to, we need a new guy. Um, I think the you know. C could be hot if they're not in the top six, to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. with yeah. you, because they, they, they bring in Murray, right? Mur- Murray's going to be a very dynamic partner with Trey young in the backcourt. Murray's going to do his job. He's as, as competitive as anybody else in the NBA, Trey young, by the way, sneaky MVP candidate, Trey mm-hmm. young, yeah, there right. You if go. if the Hawks one. finish top four, top three in the Eastern conference, and he's putting up 30 and 10, how you're telling me he's not going to be in the MVP he's, race. He's my, like, he's my favorite dark horse guy. He's box my office favorite, too. My favorite sleeper, sleeper so, MVP pick. Yeah. So I, I just think fun. with, with those two alone, right. With, with John Collins still playing respectable basketball with DeAndre Hunter, if DeAndre Hunter stays healthy. He is mm-hmm. one of the better three and D options that we have in the NBA, certainly one of the better wing defenders that we have in the NBA, in my humble opinion. You still have Clint Capella there. I mentioned Onyeka Kongwu, if he takes a leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, there's too much talent for me to believe that Nate McMillan finishing lower than sixth in these, if they have to fight for a spot in the play-in, 
Trey Young if, is not going to be happy about fighting for a spot in the plan. He's just not like, I, I think that that man, we, we already know that w- whether it's public enough or not, like behind the scenes, he was definitely clamoring for them to bring in some more talent uh, yep. for that Hawks team. And they did, they, they've done a remarkable job building up a veteran team around him. I, I just, I cannot see him being happy in any way, shape or form if they're in the plan. Yeah. It might come, just come down to how the players feel about him too, you know, because like, like there could be two they games. wanted him over lloyd pierce too you know they were very happy oh, yeah. to get him yeah yeah for sure and the first season was was awesome um yeah. that's why he got that that extension but uh like yeah i don't know man um my question i guess with them is like do they have the depth like i know you sort of listed it off but like i don't know that like they get pretty shallow especially when you look at bogdanovich's kind of injury concerns mm-hmm. um like if you you know if he were to go down like, I mean, they've got a pretty good big rotation with Onyeka and Capella and, and Collins, but like, yeah. Are you looking at Jalen Johnson as your backup power forward? If bogey goes down, it's like, then it's just holiday Trey and Murray. Um, I don't know. They, I, they lost a little bit of depth. That, that would be my concern with them. But like, like I was going to say, like they, you know, there could be two games separating the six seed from the nine seed. So that's, that's where it gets tough. It's like, damn, like, you know, is it, I don't know how disappointed can you be, you know, if you've just finished two games back of what would have been considered like a, a total success. Like, and that's just, that kind of just speaks to the nature of how the East is and the West is going to be too. It's going to be super competitive and there could very well just be a couple games separating, you know, one of the bottom two playing teams to one of the, you know, two teams above the playing. So yeah, that, that's going to be interesting to see. And the Hawks will be somewhere in that mix. I, I think. If Jalen With Toronto, Miami, year. Brooklyn, yep. <laughs> you know, Yep, maybe the next yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah if, yeah if Jalen Johnson is your fourth or fifth forward on the team you can do much worse than that, mm-hmm. that that's all I'll say about that but but Brett you do bring up like a great him. point about the depth though you do bring I, up I, a I do like Jalen he's developing you figure their big man rotation right there are four or five spots it's going to be um Capella Collins and a Kongwu if one of those guys is out all of a sudden you're left to play even smaller small ball lineups than you were originally anticipating and then to your point about if Bogdanovich and Hunter both go down at the same time, and now you're kind of left playing like really super small. Like now you might have to put some minutes together during a game with a lineup of Trey Young, Aaron Holiday, and uh, Justin Holiday, and, and DeJounte Murray to be like a combination of those four to fill the void. Like there, there are ways where this could go off the rails because of injury. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put Nate McMillan on the hot seat if there really were that many injuries and that's why they didn't get a top six seed. But if this team has the health, yeah, he's going to be on the hot seat. So that, that was a good question, Stephen. Where are we going next? Yeah, so we'll keep it rolling alphabetically uh, to the Charlotte Hornets. And that, the question is not going to be, are they tanking? Because, I mean, this, look at the roster. Can I just say that this team is bad? I'm Dude, sorry, it's, this, this team is bad. It's hard to get excited, especially with LaMelo just coming out with a, a level two ankle sprain, which I hate to be cynical, but like, is this like the early, you know, tip of the cap to be like, yeah, this isn't our season anyway. Let's just go ahead and put ourselves in the best position that we can. Um, we're not going to go there, though. But I am going to ask a question regarding to the depth of this team. With a ton of opportunity to be had on this roster right now, who is most likely to step up? And the question was originally to help Melo, but now Melo is going to be gone for, for quite some time. Who is heading up this team? Who is going to be the go-to guy on this roster right now? Is it the injury-riddled 
you know, Gordon Hayward? Is it the tried and true Terry? Like, who, who do you who are you guys looking at to take over as the go to guy on this roster? We're 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 living and dying by scary Terry, right? That that has to be the answer. Although I will say this, I will say this. So Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward are the definite starters to be locked in next to Lamelo Ball. That leaves Kelly Oubre as a sixth man on the bench. Kelly Oubre is a really talented basketball player. Tsunami Poppy. And when, when he gets a chance to unleash on offense, Brett, you and I have talked about Kelly before, that man can put the ball in the basket. So if they find ways to incorporate him into the lineup with LaMelo Ball out for however long he's going to be out, and Kelly Oubre cements himself as a potential offensive force next to some of those guys, maybe he supplants Gordon Hayward in the starting lineup. Maybe it's Kelly Oubre who's their starting small forward. But I, I don't know what the answer is, but they – they need a legitimate score outside of Terry Rozier next to LaMelo in the worst way. And I feel like there, there isn't another answer on this roster other than Kelly Oubre. So he'd be my guy as, as, as the name who has to step up. What do you think? Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> hey, let's go. <laughs> no, let's I, li- go. I, I actually, I like Dennis Smith Jr. He's, he's a really nice backup point. Reclamation guard, project. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really liked what he did with Portland last season, and I'm glad he's he signed with the Hornets. Like, I actually, I really do like him as a backup for them. But as far as with LaMelo out, yeah, what does the lineup even look like? Does Rozier slide to the point guard? Do you start um, Dennis Smith? Like, I like the Ubre pick as far as somebody who can really just rise up. Like, if you look at his shooting numbers from – the first half of last season, it was pretty insane. Uh, he was one of the top three point shooters in the league. I think he fell off quite a bit in the second half, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, he can, he can go nuts. Like if he's healthy, he's still a pretty young guy too. And mm-hmm. he's confident as anything. So uh, I kind of like the Ubre pick. I mean, like before the LaMelo injury, which I agree could drag out a little bit. I think they're going to probably take their time with that. Um, you know, PJ Washington was a guy naturally that could step up with bridges, obviously not being there. Um, sort of, you know, as, as the starting power forward playing some small ball five, he just doesn't create enough for himself. That, yeah. That's the problem. He needs to be fed. And if, if yeah. Rogier's going to be your starting point guard, is PJ Washington going to get the type of looks that he needs? Nah, probably not. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ubre as like the guy that maybe would have, you know, if this team's at full strength, been like a 14 point a game bench guy to like, now maybe he could average like 1920 at least while Lamella was out and um and really like opened some eyes because he does he can just kind of explode like that he did it with Phoenix a couple years ago he did it in the first half of last season um not so much with the Warriors but but I'm still an Ubre fan and uh that could be like a silver lining of what is going to be a pretty dismal season I think for the Hornets just letting letting Tsunami Poppy cook and you know see where see where it takes them but yeah man this is a team that should probably just tank I just I don't I think they're a fringe play-in team at best and like, but it, it's kind of a shame because LaMelo is so special. Steven, we're, we're, we're draft guys. So, yeah, so um, no JT Thor, no Kai, no Mark Williams. I, 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 was, on, I was just going to ask you the question. So out of some of these young guys, right? James Booknight, Mark Williams, JT Thor, Kai Jones, Bryce, a little Bryce McGowan's anybody right, hey, out of those you young guys. Anybody who you think can can pop this year for them on the young side, Stephen, and then I'll ask Brett the same question. So pop, I think probably JT Thor has the highest pop factor because he has like the the skill body thing that if everything possibly on Earth, planet Earth goes right, he could pop. The rest of these guys are boring, but I think that they contribute more to to a team. Um, 
I'm we were big fans of Mark Williams last year. I, I'm still a big Mark Williams guy. It's just the, the problem Who's with these big up? men. The lob threat. Yep. You, the defense. The, the, the bigs take time. Like it's not a one year rookie year thing where they're just gonna come in and dominate. It's very rare you see that from a and big Plumley is gonna be for whatever reason a mainstay at the Plumlee's five, just even mad. though he him I just so boring. They're just mad. So boring. And he doesn't play yeah. defense. Like that's what killed like that's why. Charlotte needed to draft Mark Williams last year because they don't have a rim protector and they've tried with some second round guys like Nick Richards, you know, other, other players. I want to see Mark Williams on like on this team and get some looks. It's just now with LaMelo being hurt for quite some time, maybe when LaMelo gets back, like we could see Mark Williams be unlocked because I think he's going to get all the opportunity because of where he was drafted, the need for him to be on the court and provide that rebounding rim deterrent lob threat. Uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out that out of all the young guys that Mark Williams, like by the end of the season, gets significant burn and looks like an NBA player. Like Brett, in, Brett in is there this year. is there any hope for James Booknight? This dude might just actually stink. He he uh, might actually stink. The his preseason has been very discouraging. Um, I don't know. He's he's a fun player, man. Like I, you know, I like to watch him. He's like he's got like a playground game. Like he almost plays like a like a street ball player. Like he can he can cook some people, but I don't know, man. Like I'm not super high on him right now. Like he's, he's, uh, he's got some really good scoring instincts. Uh, he's a good athlete. Um, but just as like an overall NBA player, I have a hard time envisioning him as like a net positive anytime soon. So, you know, he's going to have a little bit more opportunity with LaMelo out, but like, you know, he just, uh, he hasn't shown much. And now I'm starting to be like, maybe this is why he didn't play at all as a rookie. Cause he's just nowhere near NBA ready. I'm not out on him by any means but like i'm not that hyped about him when Um, when he came out of the draft i compared him to more of like a souped up just like athletically like a more souped up gary harris and mm. i i watch him now and i'm like is his upside like what gary harris is right now not even the best gary harris we saw in denver like that's but gary harris is playing defense for his team right that that's that that was the real separator between the two and as far as the comps i compared a lot of it offensively but yeah he gary harris was a a mean defender in michigan state Uh, yeah i'm more interested in like which of the young bigs could emerge like nick richards had a really good game last night i actually posted some clips about it he had like 15 points looked pretty good um kai jones is really athletic (laughs) um yeah and then uh and he then, does some wild things and then he does some yeah. really dumb things so yeah he's that's the thing like but these guys all need reps yep. um you know same with mark williams of course and, and same with jt thor who hit two three-pointers last night uh which was pretty wild um he did he did some things he i watched some of that games he, he actually looked pretty good but like these guys all need reps and i think this is going to be the season where you give it to them and if that means probably moving off a couple of these veteran guys like whether that's hayward or Rozier or Ubre or Washington, like maybe you look Plumley, Plumley negative <laughs> negative wingspan at, at at seven feet. Like he's a, I think he's got like a six nine wingspan. Now it's not that low, but it's a that's one of the reasons why he doesn't protect the rim whatsoever. Uh, so Mark Williams is like the type of player that they need for yeah. sure. Yep, he just needs the reps. So and he's close. He's pr- probably the same age as Lamelo, right? Like, um, yeah, he's so a young he, cat. Yeah, so they're they're on the same timeline. Like, I think you just have to look to the future. And the, the question with them is like, is Lamelo okay with this? But also, like, does he really have a choice? Like, as far as you know, is a tank season going to bum him out to the point where he requests a trade? Um, that's what that that would be the fear I think with him. Um, 
you know, but I think if you can have a tank season, get a high draft pick, bounce back, start to show some growth next season, I think he'd be fine with that. I think that's the path they should take. Um, so it's going to be a wild year in Charlotte. They just are as soon as I saw them against Boston in the preseason, just like, man, this team is yeah. ass. Like they're just yeah. they're 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 gonna be they, they are not good. They are not good. So Steven, you're on fire with the questions, man. Two for two. Who you got number three? Yeah, so I got the Miami Heat next, and I'm gonna kind of ask this question two ways at once, and y'all don't, can don't, take it. Don't don't offend you. Kevin. Don't offend Kevin. With I this won't. Question. I won't. All right. So what is, or if you don't like what is, you could put what should be the pecking order on this team behind Jimmy Butler, right? Because I feel like Bam Adebayo should be that guy, but is he going to be with Tyler Hero having a heck of a season last year? Kyle Lowry is still on this team. Nikola Jovic is having a nice preseason, you know, where he played in a Bam Adebayo stead. I don't think that he's going to take that order, but I think the thing with Miami this year is establishing like a de facto pecking order, because I think that last season, why they weren't as successful as what I think they should be is I don't think that they knew who to go to in what particular situations a lot of the time last year. And I think that led to uh, like a preconceived notion of where Bam is now compared to where he should be. And then again, with Tyler Hero jumping up, you know, that six man of the year type of player that he is. So what do you guys think? Like if you're coaching, the, if you're Eric Spolster, one of the best coaches ever, like what's, the, what's your flow, what's your order of operations on this team? I mean, it's, it's you, as you mentioned, it's, it's everybody after Jimmy Butler. So yeah, the second option has to be Bam out of bio, which the good news for Miami heat fans is he's actually been taking and making some threes mm -hmm. this preseason. That's a development. I think everyone's wanted to see from him. Tyler hero has to earn that big payday. Kyle Lowry has to come back and, and really show that he can still play some, some good offense for them to keep them going. Duncan Robinson this put out an APB for Duncan Robinson. Like where, where the hell is he at? Like he, trade him. he has to hit some kind of shots. If he's still going to be on this team, Caleb Martin's giving them good minutes. Yeah. I think, I think Victor Oladipo needs to go. be somebody who shows up for, for the Miami heat. Like he, he can really be a missing ingredient for them at mm. that point guard position, that backup point guard spot. And you can even play him in lineups next to Kyle Lowry in place of somebody like a Max Strews. Mm. Brett, to me, the problem with the Miami Heat is that they are locked into playing these small lineups all of the time, right? I, I just don't see enough efficient ways for them to continue to manufacture points in the paint. They have a Bam Adebayo who can score on the interior. Jimmy Butler can get downhill and get to the basket, but they don't really have any other slashers on the team per se, right? Tyler here is capable of that, but he wants to take jumpers. Kyle Lowry at this point in his career, he's taking jumpers. Max Struess, he's a shooter. Duncan Robinson, he's a shooter. And sometimes this team just lives, lives and dies by the three. So when those jump shots aren't falling, they can look pretty bad offensively, despite how good their switchability can be defensively because they have Bam playing some of these smaller lineups. They can just switch everything and they can keep guys in front of them. I just think it hurts them a, a little too much, especially in the playoffs on the offensive side of the ball. What do you think? I think Oladipo could really address that need for a slasher. I mean, I think yep. he's probably probably the best guy they have at that other than, you know, Jimmy. Um, but that that could be – I think he needs to be – if we're talking about like pecking order, I think he needs to be like the fourth guy behind mm -hmm. Jimmy, Bam, and Hero. And even the order of those first three is like – 
there's some questions like so hero just got a near max extension basically and uh it's like are you still gonna bring him off the bench like you kind of have to start him don't you now like he like is he still the sixth man with that contract? I, 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 I as of what it looks right start. now, I, I think it looks like they're going to play Struess at, at the I know. two, and yeah, like I, is... I want them to play Hero. Yeah, well, that's but then the other thing is like they don't really have a power forward. Like who's starting at power forward for them? Because they lost the PJ point. Tucker and they didn't really replace him. So is it going to be Caleb Martin? Like they like so, Caleb Martin a lot. Yeah, but he's undersized. So. Yeah, he is. He's not a power forward either. Like. But is that who they're going to start there? Or do you start Hero and Struess and kind of have Jimmy as your four, essentially? But then you're just really small. It's so it's I, going to be this weird combination of like Haywood Highsmith, Jamal Kane, who they, they like. I like they him, like and, Jamal and Nikola Kane, Jovich. Yeah. Like that, that's going to be the the lineup. But like, all those guys, they're not, they're not really slashers in the same sense either. Like Jamal, Jamal Kane, he he's a dunker. I wouldn't call yeah. him a slasher um Nikola Jovic he's a perimeter based forward so like again he might be the guy to kind of unlock that team with the playmaking the shooting potential and he has size too I think he could yeah. play alongside Bam he's like the right type of player for sure mm-hmm. it's just a question of like is he ready you know is he going to be ready to hold up on the defensive end like maybe he's a year away but he is like that guy it'll be he sure looks good there's no doubt I mean I think he's going to be a steal at that that draft spot not, um, not to butt in, but I also think the potential that they slide Bam down to the four and have Omar. Yurt, Yurt, Yurt. yeah. I think That'd be another option. Because they love Yurt Sivan. That would almost make more sense. I mean, obviously, like, you you know, you lose some shooting with that, but... Um, you need you need size somewhere, right? You can't just play every single lineup you tried out there is kind of like small ball. It's just... It's, yeah. it, that That's really, to me, what, what breaks them down, but... I want to see Bam though. Like I, I'm not gonna sit. Like I know Jimmy's the number one, but like when you ask yeah. about the pecking order, I'm just like, if it were up to me. And the thing with, like, I like Bam as an offensive player a lot. I think there's a lot that he can do that he doesn't do enough of, if, if at all. And uh, the thing is, he has a big defensive workload. So like maybe yeah. you can only ask so much of him offensively. But like, man, if you look at um. I think it was game three against the Celtics in the playoffs oh, where he had yeah, like, my he went, he went absolutely. He looked unstoppable. They're just feeding him and he's scoring at will every time. I think he finished with like 31 points. I think they even kind of went away from it that game. And I don't know if that's like, a, a, cause I'm like, why don't they just do this all the time? And maybe it's because he has so much responsibility. They're just, there, the there, are, there, there are barely any guys, if, no. if many at all, who can keep up with him when he's consistently rolling to the basket, getting up in the air and just throwing Even it down. Attacking off the bounce. Like he, I think that's something that I'd like to see more from him. And he can, yeah, like, he can take any center in the league out off of the, the dribble, out yep. of the face up, like that, that little face up jumper is looking better. Like, I think if he had, you know, if he got enough shots, like he, he'd look like one of the better offensive bigs in the league for sure. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just the defense where it's like, this is, you know, what he is. We're going to lean on Jimmy. Miami Tyler doesn't have another rim protector to alleviate what, what he does for that. No, team, he's so valuable on defense yeah. that maybe it's like, he can't do it all, which, which makes sense. But like, man, like in a vacuum, like offensively, I just love every time they run things through him. I just, I love it. And um, Jimmy's obviously a little limited, you know, he's a wing that doesn't shoot threes. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I'm not as high on Jimmy Butler as an offensive player as some other people are like, if he can keep that free throw rate up. Okay. Sure. Like he's, he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty good offensive player, but like if that ever starts to come down for whatever reason, then you're not left with, you're left with a guy that's probably not as good as hero or bam on that end. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I guess it has to be, it probably has to be Jimmy, Bam, Hero in that order. But I feel like it should be close. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like almost like one A, one B, one C. Like that's how yeah, I that, would have it. That DHO capability with Hero and Bam should be unstoppable. It should be. Yep. Because it was with Duncan Robinson, and then mm-hmm. Hero provides like you know so much of an additional threat out of that. Because Hero can get downhill out of the yep. DHO, so get that to the mid range. So, to Hero's credit, he has improved free throw attempts his first year up through last year. He's improved his free throw attempts every year. So it was it was only one point eight his rookie year. He he was a rookie. Next year two point two. Last year three point three. So if he starts escalating up near five six seven free throw attempts per game. That along with what Brett talked about, Oladipo being that slashing threat, that that's more of, of what they need. They need somebody to come downhill off those actions because otherwise, if, if he, if he, him and Duncan Robs, all these shooters, if they're just operating out of that DHO and they're pulling up for three every single time, defenses know how to properly react to that. But if you're able to get downhill, make something happen, catch somebody the wrong way, maybe hit one of those pull up jumpers in the main range versus just having so much of his offense behind the three point line. That's the ingredient I feel like this team is missing, and they need that from from multiple guys if they're not going to get the interior presence um, from from another traditional forward or center. But to Kevin's point, I think Yurt Seven's ready to play a role. I think Yurt Seven's ready to play a a good 18 to 22 minutes a night for this team. Get some more size and some physicality in there so that you can give Bam a rest on that side so where he doesn't have to do every single thing defensively for that team to take advantage of more of the offense. I, I, I think, I think all of us made some great points in, in that segment. That was, that was great. Um, Steven, who's next on the list? Yeah. So I got the Orlando magic next, the team that's about three and a half hours South of where I'm currently residing. And I'm going to talk about the two probably most anticipated players on this team, the two most fun players on this team. And I want to talk about how do you best utilize a Franz Wagner, Paulo Boncaro pairing? Is it running them next to Wendell Carter Jr., who is quietly becoming like one of the best Swiss Army Knife bigs in the entire NBA? Is it running them without him, which kind of sounds weird, but do you like Paulo Boncaro as like a bully ball five with Franz at the four with some of the other players that are on this team? Granted, a lot of their guards are hurt, but ideally speaking, if you had everybody healthy, you know, what would you guys think of like the best way to utilize that pairing? Because in my opinion, those are your two building blocks moving forward. So I, I, I think they're going to share the court a lot with Wendell Carter Jr. Um, we've heard multiple people talk about Wendell Carter was Orlando's most consistent player last year, mm-hmm. certainly at different times. But we know Paolo has the most upside. We know Franz probably has the second most upside of anybody else in the roster. Those two need to be involved in offense together. This was a great question, Stephen. You got to run pick and rolls with the both of them and, mm. and pick and rolls both ways with, with Paolo as the role man and with Franz as the role man, because that's where you're going to take advantage of Paolo's short role playmaking ability. That's where you're going to take uh, advantage of Franz's short role playmaking ability, running some DHO actions with Franz coming off, running some DHO actions with Paolo Bencaro, getting him downhill. Those are going to be creative ways to get this team involved offensively with those two working off of each other, because then you can have Wendell Carter in that dunker, in that dunker spot. You can have Wendell Carter spotting up somebody else in the court because he is a capable jump shooter. That's how you unlock more of this offense around guards who aren't always the most consistent shooters, right? Jalen Suggs isn't a consistent shooter. Markel Fultz isn't a consistent shooter. 
I, I, you can't find a bigger Cole Anthony fan than me, but he is, has not been a consistent shooter for an entire season. Um, Chumo Kiki, not a consistent mm. shooter. We, we think Mo Bamba still has levels to go up as far as shooting. Um, what, what's that big man rotation going to look like between him, Carter? You still got Mo Wagner there. Um, Bull, Bull, Bull is going to play some actual minutes for, for yeah. the Atlanta Magic this year. So, like, what is a five big rotation, like? like a five big lineup this year? That would be insane. Bull, so, Bull unlocks it, man. He's the Nuggets did it in the bubble. There you <laughs> like, go. Like, like, yeah. In the warm up game. Nah, <laughs> they're going to have some fun lineups for sure, though. I think, I think those two running actions together and having mm-hmm. those guards run those DHO actions with them, I think that's how you best utilize those guys, not, not turning them into isolation guys. Because yeah. Franz was Franz was either spawning up last year or he was coming off of a DHR. He was coming off a little rub screen and he was catching the ball and he was either going right up in the basket with it or he was rising and popping that mid-range around the free throw line area. So that's how I would try and utilize some of these guys. Brett, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure uh, Franz and Bancaro are good enough playmakers, especially Franz, to where they can coexist. You know, they can both handle the ball. They're both good passers. Yep. Both comfortable on the perimeter all that. Like, I'm not too worried about the fit. Um, but at the same time, like I do, I do hope they stagger them a a fair amount, um, to where we sort of see them, you know, with, with Wendell, like, you know, separately, like maybe, I don't know. They, they, they're really good playmakers, but I do feel like they both need the ball in their hands quite a bit. And I'm just, I'm not sure, like, I, you know, you're, you're optimizing them fully. If you're playing them together, like the whole game, like I, I, I'd like to see a fair amount of staggering. I think it'll just, I think they will. And I think it'll be a blend, but I think they'll look pretty good when they're, when they're on the court together. I mean, they're both just very, just high IQ, very capable perimeter kind of big guys. And Wendell, man, like he deserves a lot of credit for the season he had last year. Like I was looking at it. He didn't get a single most improved player vote. It's a crime. I don't understand, man. Cause he, he played a full season. It was, or it was certainly a career high for games played. He made massive statistical jumps across the board, massive jumps in efficiency, or certainly to some degree across the board. Um, and he expanded his game to where he became like a stretch big. Like he really shot the three ball. Well, like that was something he really didn't do up until that point. So I just, I don't know why he didn't get more buzz for MIP, but man, he is awesome. Played and, in I, Orlando. That was Yeah, a- fair enough. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I'm thinking with him, like, what if he takes another jump like that? Are we looking at like a top 10 center all of a sudden? Because like, if he can make the kind of jump he made last year, he's up there. Uh, he's a, he's a very nice player. And, um, and I think, you know, with his newfound three point shooting and comfort level out there, uh, he's going to be a nice fit with, with Franz and, and, uh, and uh, Paolo. So yeah, they're very big but like they're the type of big guys that can work together. There's enough shooting and enough playmaking where like, I don't know, maybe this is like the future of basketball. We'll see. Uh, I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And then, yeah, just to have guys like Mo Bamba and, uh, and, uh, and Bull Bull coming off. You, the bench. you said Jonathan the name Bull Bull and man, <laughs> so, Paolo Bencaro, small ball five with mm. Bull Bull technically playing the floor, the, the four spacing that entire offense out and just giving Paolo all the room to just get downhill and drive inside, which we know that's the best version of himself. When he's using his power, his strength, he's trying to get downhill and bully everybody. That, Steven, would be one hell of a lineup. What do you think? Yeah, I just, I worry, and I'm glad Brett brought it up, because if you play all three, right, like I'll bring this back to the Wendell Carter Jr. 
um, Franz and Paulo lineup is offensively, like you could do so much, right? Like you can run like double action screens where you're running a pick and roll. Paulo sets a screen to a flaring, you know, Franz for an open three and, and or, you know, a dump off pass to a cutting Paulo. Like there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do with that type of lineup. Flip the flip to the other side of the ball. Who's who's defending these NBA wings? You know, like do you do you have them like purely as an isolation heavy style defense? Do you have them like kind of shading off when the ball's on the opposite side of the court to help give you some second line defense? That's kind of what I think Coach Mosley is going to have to weigh this like risk reward style problem that he has. It's a good problem to have because they're all talented dudes. I just I'm curious defensively what that looks like, but flip bowl bowl back in this rotation kind of the same question you know who who guards who in in that type of lineup i imagine you have bowl bowl as kind of like your rim deterrent with paulo taking on the more athletic um ball handling style players but that's the question me with all these rotations is what does it look like defensively i think paulo Paulo has to step up defensively absolutely yeah, I think he has it in him too. I think he could be maybe a better defensive player than a lot of people, including myself, have kind of expected. Um, one thing is they were pretty good defensively last yeah. season. Like, I mean, for compared to like what they were overall, like I think they were the 30th offense in the league, but maybe like 16th or 17th on defense and and for a couple stretches, like really, really good. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of that is is Coach Mosley. And, um, and then, yeah, you look at like, I mean, I think if Jonathan Isaac were there, which who knows if he's ever going to come back, but like, that's the kind of defense, like they could get really interesting if they, if they have him in the mix. Um, But yeah, I I kind of agree, man. Like I think offensively it could definitely work with those three. Um, But yeah, defensively could be where it's a little bit, a little bit problematic, but uh, but who knows? Yeah. That's, they're going to be fun. They're, they're league pass top five. Yeah, they're darlings. Yeah. Yeah, they gotta be, right, man. And then yeah, what kind of a joke do we see Cole Anthony like do what he did in the beginning of last season consistently? Like, you know, hopefully that's the most interesting thing to me, Brett. And I know that the question was was framed around uh Wagner Bencaro and and Carter Jr. So that ties into it though. It does tie into it. Yeah, Yeah. I don't want to spend an hour on on the Orlando Magic, but to me. The more interesting question is what does the guard rotation look like next to those guys? What's the correct combination you have Fultz you have Suggs you have Cole you have Gary Harris you still have RJ Hampton and Terrence Ross uh, Terrence Ross Houston. for Shoot for him. all the years I feel like he's been a, a a trade candidate for for all these years yeah Terrence Ross is, is still on the magic roster but veteran I mean, yeah, yeah so so Con- many guys in that backcourt but yeah. like what's what's the right combination to play off of those other yeah. guys is it because you talk about shooters? the spacing like how, you know how the, yep. you're going to want to have spacing around those guys and it's like you know, Suggs maybe not providing a whole lot of spacing uh, right now. Same with faults, you know? So um, you think Cole is probably the best shooter out of those guards, but you yeah. got to play, you know, Suggs needs his reps and everything. So yeah. you'll just have to structure the lineups to where, you know, where that's not too much of an issue, but uh, it's a big year for him. I feel like not like make or break his career or anything, but just kind of in terms of like the general outlook, like how we, how we feel about Jalen Suggs. Like I think this year will show us a lot. Um, hope he returns healthy yeah, yeah. one 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 hundred percent hundred percent steven yeah. what's that last question buddy yeah for the washington wizards and i think that this is the question that everybody's looking at when they're looking at the washington wizards because of the way that their roster looks right now assuming a fire sale would soon follow should the wizards look to trade bill for picks and assets especially considering 
their recent struggles that they've had, no matter who's the coach, no matter who else they bring in to play alongside Beal, they've brought in more guys. I think a more well-rounded roster that he's had in quite some time. But you also got to consider the East is as deep as it's been in a long time. And this incoming class, Nathan, you know, and, and Brett, I'm sure that you know as well, there's a lot of people that can help a, a rebuilding franchise even beyond you know, Victor Wembenyama and Scoot Henderson. I know that people are probably like hearing nails on a chalkboard, but there's other people even in this draft class that could help out. So my question again, assuming a fire sale would soon follow, should the Wizards look to trade Bill for picks and assets? I mean, yes, they, they should 100% blow this team up. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's an obvious question asked. And to me, it's an obvious answer. The problem is Bradley Beal just, he, he just doesn't want to leave Washington. He, he yeah. wants to stay there. He wants to help that franchise win. And I don't blame him. He's like Dame. He, he's loyal to the soil. And that's kind of just that that's the long and short of it. But as far as the team construction around him, Brett, the, there's not bad players here no. to, to Steven's point, like Monte Morris, Will Barton, Kyle Kuzma, and Porzingis around Beal. That's a solid starting five. You have DeLon right behind him. You still have Denny and Rui and Daniel Gafford, um, Corey Kispert, Taj Gibson was hitting some jump shots this preseason. He was doing that too. Like they're another they're, coach on the floor at this point. An, yeah. Another vet. Like there are guys there. There's there's talent around Brad. There's just there's not the number two guy there. And Listen, Porzingis could surprise all of us and like reemerge as as New York Knicks Christoph Porzingis. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but cr- I guess crazier things have happened in in league history, right? But given that I don't think that's going to happen, it's a bunch of complementary pieces around a guy who I'm not sure a franchise should be built around in the first place in Bradley Beal. So we know the answer. It's just probably not going to happen. But do you, Brett, do you see the Wizards as as a play-in team, or do you think they're going to be outside the plan? I, I, I'd probably pick them to get like at least the last play-in spot right now. Like I think they're a top ten team in the East. I think they could be a little better. Like you said, I mean they've got a lot of talent. I agree about Beal. Like I don't think he's an ideal best player. Like if your best player is Bradley Beal, you're probably not doing that great. But yeah, between all the guys you named, man, like they've got crazy forward depth. Yep. You know, when you look at like Will Barton, Kuzma, Hachimura, Avdia, like that's a pretty solid little forward yep. room. And then you've got maybe the best backup center in the league in Daniel Gafford. I'm a big Kispert believer just as kind of like a three-point specialist. Yep. Like I, I'm in love with the way that guy shoots. Um, and then, yeah, you don't have a lot, you know, as far as a point guard goes. I know that was their main priority this offseason. But um, Be- Beal's going to handle the ball a lot. Yes. And then you still yeah. have Monte and DeLon right. So there is, there Solid. are three guards there. Yeah. yeah that, that makes sense. Exactly. I think, I think Beal can, I mean, I think he as he had kind of a poor season last year, but he, I think he did set a career yeah. high for assists. Um, but yeah, the Beal thing, man, like, I don't know, like he's, he's got, got quite a lengthy injury history. He's coming off his worst season. He's getting up there in years. He's probably never going to be as good as he was a couple of years ago. And to pay him all that, and doesn't, didn't he get a no trade clause? So like he would have to, okay he's got to sign off on it yeah you have to sign what, off what on a it. negotiation deal for mr bradley beal to oh get a no trade clause in that yeah. they gotta yeah, pay yeah. somebody on that team <laughs> yeah. someone has to be well, the guy. it's really true though that's exactly what it is it's like okay you let him go then what like he's what you got and you kind of they're they're in a situation where they almost had to do it for sure but yeah he'd have to okay it i would if if LA. they 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's situations he'd be willing to bring back to. Brody and get a couple picks. For it. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There clear you go. your books. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. If they're uh, if they get off to a bad start, you know, however long into the season, like say they start off like you know seven and sixteen or something, it's like then they're they're kind of like in the same boat as the Hornets for me, like a little bit above them, but the team where it's like maybe you just tank this year. But again, they have so many good players that I want to see it. Like, cause I think they could maybe surprise some people. Like they're probably, they'd be my pick for like a team that everyone thinks is going to suck. That might not suck. Steven, uh, where, the, where, where yeah, do you so, see them at in the East? I mean, if Indiana, where we're going to talk about here in a little bit, if Indiana committed to winning, I would pick Indiana and their roster over this team. It's just looking at where a couple of teams are going. Like we're already starting to see the smoke screens. This is just the problem with Washington, man. This is why their roster looks the way it does is because they're consistently picking like 16th through 19th in the draft like every year. And they just got like a bunch of fourth, fifth and best, fourth, fifth and sixth best players on a championship team playing with like a second or third best player on a championship team. And it's not a recipe for success. Like if Washington fans are just content with playing purgatory, then I, then I guess keep it going. but. If it was me, man, like I would be looking to to make a fire sale because that might actually like weirdly give you more job security. Like if if people understand like the the direction of this team, like maybe you can get them to buy into a vision. But if you're trying to sell people that this team as constructed is going to be like a top six team in the East, your your seat's going to get hotter quicker than it's going to get cooler. So I, I think that it has to be done. Like there's no other choice, in my opinion. No, I, I, I agree. I think we all agree that that's the obvious answer. It's just circumstances. It's, it hasn't happened. It probably won't happen. So can the Wizards make the play in? We think it's possible. I wouldn't bet it probably at this point. I think that at some point they'll probably just look at it and say, yeah, we should probably try and get Victor Wembanyama next to Bradley Beal. But I, 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 regardless, thank you, Stephen, for those questions. Great. Yeah great set of five points we've had 10 awesome questions and i'm i'm gonna try to bring up the rear here with the central division i'm gonna try to got it close us out on a high note so i have my questions ordered by where these teams finished in the division last year so that means i'm starting with the milwaukee bucks steve trying not to offend you if you're listening out there promise do the bucks have enough quality depth to win an nba championship Mm. let me explain where i'm going with that so here's their starters. Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez. Their bench, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, Serge Ibaka, Wesley Matthews, George Hill, Javon Carter, Marjan Beauchamp. There's a lot of guys on did that Did you say roster, Joe right? Ingles in there? I did not say Joe Ingles in there, but okay. Joe Ingles should be mentioned as part of the depth. And he could definitely be an answer to the question that, that I'd be asking. I just don't know what Joe Ingles is going to be. He's, he's yeah. already old. He's coming off a bad injury. Yeah. When he's even going to be back? Probably. When is he going to be could back? Could be All Star yeah. break, maybe. I, 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 so that that's why I didn't include him. I just don't know the answer to what he's going to be. But Stephen brings up a valid point. Is there enough playmaking though on the roster to set up the dearth of play finishers and shooters that they have? So Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, Serge Ibaka, Wes Matthews. Those guys are all either shooters or play finishers. So you have Drew Holiday, you have Giannis. You have George Hill. If Drew Holiday 
gets an injury that he's prone to. It seems like every other year he has one of those injuries that keeps him out yeah. for quite a bit of time. If he misses significant time, Brett, is having a combination of Giannis and George Hill enough to get everyone else the shots they need to, to win and, and really go deep? Like, what what's yeah. the answer? That's their yeah. weakness to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they're the two biggest concerns I have with the Bucs are depth and age. Like they mm-hmm. are kind of an older team. And those two things to be kind of shallow and kind of old is can be a dangerous combination. It's like, so you what? see the Los Angeles Lakers last year. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um. So yeah, like even if, you know, guys like Wes Matthews, like what does he have left? You know what I mean? George Hill, does he have anything left? Ibaka, does he have anything left at all? Are these guys even factors like next season? I mean, they're, they're is, play finishers though. Like they're not doing right. anything else for themselves or, or anybody else. Yeah. They, I brought back Javon Carter. Right. I mean, he can, he can play make a little bit. Uh, I like him, um, but I mean, you know, he's not a high end guy in that regard, more of a kind of a defender, but yeah, they're a little short there, but I mean, like, look, if you're just talking about getting through the regular season and even having like, a top four record in the East. Like, I think you probably with Giannis, you probably do that no matter what, as long as Middleton's mostly healthy. Um, but like, this is one of the reasons why I'm not very confident in them, like winning the East, like in terms of being the number one seed or even like the two. Cause like, I, they're, they're pretty shallow, man. I don't like that bench at all. This is the team that's running it back large, like yeah. almost entirely other than Beauchamp. Like it's the exact same team as last year. Right. Like it's, they really didn't do, and you get Ingles eventually. Ingles, who yeah. I, I I like Beauchamp a lot, but even if he works out in his rookie year to where he yeah. can actually play on a on a contending team, but, he, but like his, his said, best not, version is still a play finisher. Right? Play finisher, yeah, just a guy that's going to go out and transition, a guy that can you know attack the rim a little bit, but like yeah, he's not a playmaker by any stretch at, at this stage. Um, so yeah, I think they're a little short in that regard, man. And I, I don't know, I'm not as bullish on them as I think a lot of other people are. Um, but I think you're you're fine as long as you have Giannis. But in the playoff series, you're going to need all those guys healthy. You might need to make some additions. I think they're actually counting on Ingles. Like, I mean, I I would assume if they pay him, I, I, I sure hope so. This the full be like uh, their, tax their backup level. point guard. Yeah. No, they're paying him. They're paying him six, seven million dollars a year, yeah. whatever it is, like, uh, for the season. So they're like, I don't know. They could have spent that money on some other types of guys, and they went with Ingles. Like I was talking about this with Steve on our podcast. Like, if, you know if he's the Joe Ingles from two years ago, he is the absolute ultimate perfect guy to plug into this Bucks team between his shooting, his playmaking. Like he is the guy, his intelligence, he's perfect, but he's coming off an ACL. And even before the ACL, he didn't look great. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's 35. So it's like, you know, if, now you, if you can get? get, if you can get 80% of two years ago, second and sixth man voting Joe Ingles, if you can get 80% of that guy, then you're looking really good. Even if that, even if he doesn't show up until the spring, um, they're looking great in the playoffs, but you know, if, if it doesn't work out with him, uh, then you're, you're just really shallow. And I know you don't need a deep rotation necessarily in the playoffs, but you do need like eight guys. And, um, I'm not sure they have it. I'm more confident in their playoff outlook than their regular season outlook, but, but I agree the depth is, is an issue. It's a concern. There's no, no way around it. I don't, maybe Jordan Nwora can emerge as something more I than like Nora, man. And he's been, he, yeah. He got some, yeah. He's nice. I'm glad they glad they ended up uh, bringing him back. I mean, he's he's a nice player. Never seen a shot he doesn't like. Um, but you know, maybe he's the kind of guy that could step up and uh, and make them look a little deeper. But we'll see. Steven, is Giannis just Superman to where it doesn't matter, and he's just going to find a way? 
I was just going to say, you know, we compared them to the Lakers just a second ago, but the difference is that Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now, and he's, you know, in his prime. I mean, there's still other dudes that aren't like dinosaurs out there as far as age, right? Like Grayson Allen, uh, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, like those dudes aren't, aren't, you know, like decrepit, you know, they're not like dust isn't falling off them when they're on the court. But I think the reason that the Bucks get the label that they do is because obviously because Brooke Lopez is, you know, he's pretty, you know, he's not fleet of foot. Um, Chris Middleton isn't as quick as he used to be, but he's never really been like a speed demon. Like, you know, the athleticism hasn't necessarily ever been like a big part of his game. And Drew Holiday, sure, he gets banged up. and He's a little older, but he's still very mobile and a very physical defender. Um, I just think that Milwaukee is kind of boring, man. And I think that's why, like, the age is starting to get circled in red a little bit is because, like, they are that same team that we've seen so often. And the last time that we thought Milwaukee was probably done is when they made their championship run, you know. So, I don't know. I just think that Giannis is too good. I think that the ancillary pieces are too good. Chris Middleton, for what it's worth, I think that he's an underrated playmaker for being someone in the role that he's in. For a guy who's asked to shoot, whenever he touches the ball, he moves the ball along pretty quick and makes good reads as well. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe Beauchamp gives them that spark of energy. You know, we like Beauchamp a lot coming out of the draft over at No Ceilings. So, you know, they, they got some young guys. I just think that they're boring, and that kind of, like, falls at, like, what do you do when a team is boring? We did it with San Antonio for so long. It's like they're old, but like they're efficient. And the thing about an ACL with a guy like Ingles is that like still pass with your arms and you look with your eyes, you know, the ACL isn't a part of that. So if they can get him in situations where he's on the move with a screen set up and he's allowed to make a move and he's allowed to make a pass, then like that helps out as well. Yeah. Speaking of, oh, go ahead, Brad. No, I was just going to say, there's a lot to be said too, for continuity. You know, like sometimes yep. we look at these teams running it back as like you said, kind of boring, but it's like, also this is largely the same group. That's that won a title. It's been together mm-hmm. for a few years now. So like that has to count for something too. And like, I love their, like their top seven is, is awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's just beyond that is where it gets a little bit concerning uh, for me, but but yeah, I mean, they have to be considered one of the favorites. And like you put them in the playoffs, then I think they go up a notch because they do have the best player in the league. They're um, they're going to be a playing Crowder a little bit. might be an addition, you know. See, that's market, the that, that's that's the kind of guy. Yeah, you bring in somebody like that, you know. That they're going to be uh, playing a little bit different style of basketball this year, no? Like even with the continuity, because they've been so good out in transition and then defending in transition. They're they're a slower team. Like they're without a doubt, they they seem like a slower team. So. I, I'm very curious to see what their half court offense actually becomes because they're going to need to have more of a half court set. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to be defending as well as they were last year. So in turn, that might not let them get some of those transition opportunities. I'd say the the light shining down on that is maybe they do still defend up to the level they're capable because of what Brett just said about the continuity. The best defensive teams in the NBA are the ones that stick together and build the chemistry. And, and Lopez missed most of last season too. So yeah. if you yeah. have him for a full season um, that, you know, that you'd have to think that that makes you better defensively for sure. Uh, but then there's sort of the eight, maybe he's a step slower. Who knows? Like there's a couple yeah. of different factors kind of going against each other there, but they're going to be, they're going to be in the mix at the end of the day. Of course, think, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm going to pick them to come out of the East just because I believe that much in Giannis that I yeah. said that at the top of the podcast, that's just, I just believe he's Superman. But speaking of playmaking slash point guard depth, that feeds into the question I have for the Chicago Bulls as well. 
what does the point guard position become for the Bulls after the mm. Lonzo Ball injuries? And is that answer currently on the roster? So the point guard depth behind Lonzo, or should I say without Lonzo, Ayo Desunmu, Goran Dragic, and Alex Caruso is your combo guard kind of filling in. Is Ayo ready to take a major step forward after a really promising rookie season per 36 last year, 11.6 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists on 52, 37.6, 67.9 shooting splits. He got a steal on there, 113 offensive rating, 115 defensive rating, 11.2 PER. That's, that's a pretty good year for a rookie point guard, in my estimation. I think he was probably one of the 10 best rookies um, in the NBA last year, at least by the award balloting. What can we expect from a Goran Dragic as he enters his 15th season in the NBA at age 36? Steven, is there enough playmaking, shooting defense everywhere to mitigate the loss of ball for potentially another season with Levine and DeRozan being playmakers, Caruso, and you could even throw Kobe White in that equation as well. Can they get past the loss of Lonzo Ball to live up to last year's expectations and push forward? I think offensively, yeah, it's really easy because DeMar DeRozan was the table setter for the large part of the season last year. Levine, you know, contract player, right? So looking to to make sure that there are no questions left unanswered with him proving himself to be worthy of a contract like that. So I think that if you're looking for that tertiary playmaker, like Desumu is the guy to me because he gives you versatility because of his build. He's got vision. He's shown that he can shoot and he's a reliable defender. Like guys at his position, they don't play, especially for a, a team that's looking to make some noise in the playoffs. Uh, a team that we didn't mention earlier when we're talking about how deep this Eastern Conference team is, like Chicago is definitely in that mix as well. Um, I just think Desumu is that guy. Um, Patrick Williams, you know, what does he look like coming in? Do they try to get him involved as like an, an ancillary playmaker out of that four spot? You know, there, there's so many different ways that this team can offset the loss um, offensively that Lonzo Ball provides. It's defensively um, that I think that Lonzo has kind of like made his name what it is now. Kind of oddly enough, he's known as like this nasty point of attack defender who can guard ones, twos, depending on the matchup, even some good threes. And I think Desumu has shown enough in his early going in his NBA career to where he can pick that up as part of like a, a lion share approach, you know, maybe not one for one, do exactly what Lonzo Ball does. But to me, he's the answer. The fans love him. He is a, an, an Illinois guy too. So I just think that he he plays with enough swagger and energy and tenacity to kind of help offset that within a group context. Brett, where, where are you at on the polls this year? I completely agree about Io. Like he really softens the blow of losing Lonzo. Like that's a big loss. Lonzo was awesome for them last season. A big part of why their defense was so good in the early season. Big part of why they were the number one seed in the East going into the all-star break. Um, but yeah, Io can do a lot of the things he did, you know, um, offensively for sure. He's, he's super impressive, man. He, he defends, he shoots it well. Like he's, he's exceeded my expectations already and he looks primed for, you know, a jump this season. He's the guy I would go with. I'm not sure if they've, I don't think they've announced their starting five by any means yet. He would be my pick to slot in as the starting point guard over someone like, you know, Caruso or, or Kobe White or, or Goran Dragic, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Like, so if it was just, if this was the only real glaring issue with the Bulls, I'd feel okay about them. Um, but I just think there's, there's other things beyond this. It's like, okay, maybe this sort of like, 
they've got good guard depth. You know, maybe Dalen Terry gets yeah. like a few good minutes. Maybe Kobe White, you know, continues to shoot the ball well, which is, is something that they need. Um, Caruso's healthy. Io makes a jump. It's like, okay, the guard guard room's pretty nice. Um, and it's also like, like you kind of were saying, Stephen, like uh, DeRozan and Levine handle the ball so much and create yeah. so much on their own that you don't necessarily even need like a traditional point guard alongside those guys um because they do the lion's share of the, the ball handling play where where, anyway. where where else are you going maybe like the wing depth would be a concern for you uh, the rim protection yeah. is a big issue like Vucevic overall to me is a big issue like if he's not shooting the ball well from the outside which he didn't last year it's like what's what's he really doing there uh, we were just talking about Wendell Carter Jr. And it's like, man, like they yeah, had only. Wendell Carter Jr. and Gafford. And that, you know, it's it's not to relive that trade or anything, but it's not looking great. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I don't really like how he fits in with them if he's not shooting the ball well. He offers no rim protection. He's a slower guy. Like this is a team that I think is kind of built to run. They, they, they I, have more. I think if the Bulls were, if they knew they were getting DeMar DeRozan, they probably would not have done the Vucevic trade. I think it was just yeah. like we need to get more offense on this team next to Zach. Butterfly we need to score effect, the ball yeah. and 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 yeah, yeah. That 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 is a tough pill to, to swallow I, for Bulls that's, fans. That that's a concern. I I don't think they have enough shooting. Um, and then yeah, what's going on with Patrick Williams? Like I love that guy. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite young players for sure. But now it looks like there's a a legit position battle between him and Javante Green going on in training camp now. Um, Dude, Javante's so athletic. I love Javante. He dunked from the foul line the other night in a game. (laughs) He's one step inside the foul line. Six four, absolutely insane. So yeah, that's like, you know, if Patrick Williams, I'm kind of counting on him as like a somewhat Bulls fan to make a big jump this season. And like, I don't doubt that he can make it, but just kind of what we've seen in preseason, like he hasn't been very good. And Javante's looking like he might get that job. So it's like, okay, maybe that jump we were counting on from Pat Williams isn't happening this year. And if that doesn't happen, if Vucevic isn't a hell of a lot better and Lonzo's out, it's like, there's a lot of things kind of working against the bulls, not to mention the fact that they massively overachieved last season. Yeah, like they, 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 they won 46 games, but they had a negative point differential. Um, so they, they overachieved and a lot of that, you know, you give credit to guys like Levine and DeMar DeRozan that can perform in the clutch and hit big buckets for you. And win you close games, I think that's largely a reflection of that. But at the same time, they weren't as good as their record. When was. when they lost, they lost. Like yeah. it was bad. That's why when, the differential was what it was. When Zoe and Caruso were out, they were terrible. And yeah. it's like Zoe's out. Point of for, attack defense gone. Yeah. When, if, now if Caruso goes down, then they're probably terrible again. So hopefully he can stay healthy. But uh, that's where they might really start missing. Dale and Terry time, baby. Let's go. <laughs> hey, I like him, man. Yeah, he's oh, man, he, he definitely Daylen. fits. He fits what they like in their guards. It sure seems like. Shout out to, to no ceilings underrated prospect uh, of the podcast, Dale and Terry. We were, we were big on him out of Arizona and I, I think he's going to make an impact for the bulls at some point. I don't know if it's going to sure. be this year, but mm-hmm. next year and beyond. Yeah. He's going to be part of that rotation. So my next question would come with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is okay. a Brett question. Brett knew that this question was coming. Oh my boy. Can Isaac Okoro take mm. enough of a leap offensively to solidify Cleveland's best defensive starting lineup around Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland? So their potential defensive front court would be Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro. That's freaking awesome. Backup small forwards who they could go to outside of Okoro would be Karis LeVert, Jetty Osman, and Lamar Stevens. 
Okoro significantly trended in the right direction last year to being a positive player per BPM. He was a negative 5.1 in his first season. That goes up to a negative 1.7 last year. So that's, that's a sizable jump for a young player. He improved offensively across all categories last year, as far as major categories, both counting numbers and efficiency. 35% from three on a little over two attempts, attempts per game. He did regress on his corner threes, though. Um, at under 35%, down from 37%. So that that number has to go north. But if he can continue to build off of that corner shooting, he stretches the defense enough, and it allows him to attack closeouts more effectively and get downhill and finish around the basket, which is what he wants to do. He is an efficient scorer inside the arc overall, a large part of his nearly 59% true shooting that he had last year. So, Brett. That's your question, man. That's your guy. Are we are we going to see that corner shooting bump? Are we going to see that offensive bump? I mean, like, so he was at 35% overall last season. But if you look post-All-Star break, I think he was at 44 from three. 43, 44, as hard as that is to believe. Relatively small sample, just about two attempts per game. But post-All-Star break, he was legitimately shooting the ball well. His shot looks a lot better. Like, I believe in the improvement. I don't think he's a 44% three-point shooter. But, like, if he could get up to 37, I think – everybody in Cleveland would be really Which is happy enough, with that. Cause he does oh, so yeah. many other things on the court. Like I was watching the preseason game last night, like the offensive rebounds he was getting the hustle plays he was making. Like that's, oh, that's dude. who he is. That's what Cleveland needs. He had this, I mean, so I think the bottom line with Okoro is that he's so good defensively that he has to be the guy there. Because if you put Levert in as good as Mobley and Allen are defensively, Levert, Mitchell Garland, like you just can't, you can't do that. Uh, you need a point of attack defender, I think. And, and Okoro is one of the best that we have in this game. Um, he's, there was a, I saw a clip uh, from last night's game, I think, where um, I think Mavs Draft posted it on Twitter, but he just came over for this sick block, like on the right side. And then, uh, and then sprinted out to the, like the, the weak side corner in time to close out on PJ Tucker, who had gotten a ball off the rebound. It was just like, if you can find the clip, it's pretty amazing. Just, and it sort of like sums up Okoro in a nutshell. Like he does some, like really spectacular stuff on the defensive end sometimes. So I don't, I don't think any of us really question his defensive ability, um, especially out, you know, out at the point of attack. Um, but yeah, it's like, at, how bad would he have to be offensively for him not to be the guy in that starting five? And that's where it's like, if he's down to like his rookie season, three point shooting, you know, like low thirties or something. If he really regresses. Yeah. If he regresses. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. If he just regresses even from last season, then it's like, okay, maybe, you know, we, we need somebody who can hit the corner three, but if he could be 36%, even, I think that's, that's more than enough. And then continue to grow as a slasher, because I think that's where his greatest potential lies. Like there was another clip of him going to the rim last night. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like if he, you know, when he figures that out, you know, the handle, just the, the balance, just the uh, getting under control, going to the rim. Like when he figures that out, he's going to be really tough to stop because he's so strong and so athletic. Um, And, and, you know, like you said, man, the outside shooting will unlock that. So I don't know. I think like what I'm looking for is a slight jump in the overall number. Mm -hmm. Like it'll, it'll fluctuate throughout the season, but I'd like to see at the end of the season, at least 36%, if not 37, then I'd feel great about it. Cause he's going to have a lot of open looks and you know, he needs to be able to knock them down when he's wide open. Steven, what do you think about a and that spot in the Cavs lineup in, in general? Because that's, that's the question mark for them, right? Like Garland spectacular, mm -hmm. Mitchell spectacular, the, the twin towers of Allen and Mobley. We know what they're going to give you. They have enough depth behind those guys. Like that spot. What do you think? I don't know. I don't, 
I don't believe in him offensively. And I know that we looked at the numbers and I know that we talked about the statistics, but if you watched him and like he got some of the most open looks in the NBA that you'll see, and it's not because of offensive creativity. It's just because teams like flat out just did not respect him on his shot at all. And I think that maybe if he plays more like, and again, you're talking about like giving him open looks. He didn't really get a whole heck of a lot of playing time outside. Like, do you just, are you okay as a defensive minded coach saying, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll give up two three pointers to, to him over the course of a game, like over the course of a season, he's taken two attempts per game. He's shooting the mid thirties. Like that looks great for him individually. But how much of that is just the defense? Like, yeah, we'll give him his two shots that he's going to take this game and worry about the rest of the game later. Right. So I think that a large part of that defensively on a night to night basis, like teams aren't going to respect a shot and which really hurts whenever you have Jarrett Allen on the floor and you have Evan Mobley trying to be dynamic and you know that Donovan Mitchell is going to get to the paint. So, and Darius Garland, right. So you're, I'm worried about that. I think that Chetty Osman kind of gives you a little bit better of that offensive mentality. There's word that they were trying to be in on Jay Crowder, um, other players as well to help solidify that. Like they're talking about Wade even starting to kind of give them that three big man. Approach I don't hate they that. Had. I, I like that as Wade. well because because if Wade can do anything, it's shoot, right? Like that's like that's his prospect at the NBA level. Like even bringing Kevin Love in as a starter, as great as he is on the on the bench, like if they can't resolve that three man spot, like maybe they go back to putting love out there as yeah, kind of then, like a well, stretch then you, four. You slide, you slide Mobley over to the three and that's kind of Correct. like your pseudo small forward. So yeah, almost Correct. like what they, what they did last year. Yeah. If they were to start love or Wade, it's like, it sounds crazy, but they started Lowry marketing last year. So with those, with the twin towers. So it's like, and they, they made know, him like a top 50 player in the NBA, according to some of these lists that are out there now, like <laughs> top yeah. most interesting, like <laughs> returning young guys. So yeah, I just, I don't know, like, and Okoro, his his prime role is like what we were just talking about with like Javante Smart and and Bruce Bowen. Like he's that trash can dude. Like he plays four because he can just do everything else, and you don't care that he can't shoot, right? Because you surround him with that other level talent. If you're asking him to be the floor spacer for other people, to me, like schematically, that's a problem. Yeah, I wonder. How, yeah, I wonder how much they're going to rely on that because, like, I mean, you get a fair amount of spacing with like the respective scoring gravities of Garland and Mitchell both those guys are, you know what I mean it's like and Garland Mitchell Mobley to an extent like they want to him an to extent, be like idealized yeah. he could but you still have Allen out there right so like right. well Allen Allen like out of those four guys Allen's the only player who needs his offense set up for him right like mm -hmm. Garland Mitchell and Mobley Garland and Mitchell can get their own shot Mobley can kind of create his own shot by default because he can just shoot over everybody yeah so to, to that point, they have guys in the lineup to where maybe maybe what Brett's saying, they don't need to rely upon too much of those other things happening. Maybe that's, that's my question, though. It's like, added. How, how good of a shooter do you need in that spot? Because if you – I don't know the answer to this, but, like, if you, if you need a, a legitimately reliable shooter there, you know, if that's how it works out, maybe a Coral's not that guy. I think, I think he'll give them enough in that regard, and I think what he offers defensively will, will outweigh it. Um, but but it's interesting. There's a lot of eyes on him. There's a lot of pressure on him. He was drafted, you know, fifth overall yeah. um, over some pretty good players. So this is a this is a big year for him. I know he works his ass off. Um, oh, for sure. I, I know his shot has improved. Like that's that's always encouraging to me. Like seeing it where it was when he came into the league to where it is now. Like it it looks better and the numbers have gotten better. So it's like if we can just keep that going up. But like you're right though, man. I mean, he had all, so many. Those were just wide open shots. 
Like people are just giving them to him and they're going to continue to do that until he starts to make them. Um, so yeah. And, and look, even if they want to guard him out there with the other four guys that they have, like they might not be able to guard him out there. So if he, if he can just make open shots, man, like that's, it doesn't sound like I'm asking a lot, you know, but I think that's really what they need from him. And it's probably, you know, easier said than done. And we, that's something that we need to keep in mind, Nathan Wright, as a draft analyst. We always say, like, if this dude can figure out a shot, like, how dangerous can he be at the next level? It's guys like Okoro that make it seem like that thought process isn't so easy all the time. That's why I was so high on him coming out because I'm like, okay, he's got a floor as an elite defensive player. He's a high level athlete. Now he was listed at like six, six with a six, 10 wingspan when he was coming out. Now he's like six, five with a six, eight wingspan. I don't know how that happens, but, uh, but, but I was like, yeah, but like he'll develop as a shooter, you know? And like, I don't know, some guys just don't. And I hope he's one of the ones that does, because I think he's got a pretty nice floor as, as a defensive player and just like a slasher. And, um, and he could be a damn good player if he can ever become a reliable shooter. So my last two questions, last two teams, both expected to finish near the bottom of the Eastern conference, but that technically makes them more interesting for us as draft guys, right? So we get to talk about some young guys, maybe think about their prospects in the upcoming draft. The Indiana Pacers, my question for them, is Benedict Matherin ready to start at the wing for the mm. Indiana Pacers? And you, Steven, you know I'm coming to you on this one. But oh, yeah. Their, their current depth at that two-slash-three spot, you got Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte, you have Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, and O'Shea Brissett. Buddy Heald has been on the trade block publicly along with Miles Turner. So one would think by the trade deadline, both are going to be on different teams. If the wanted draft compensation can be included in a package or separate deals, Matherin will start the year on the bench, but will very likely become a starter at some point in the year. My question though, judging off these first two preseason games, is he ready now? So first game against Charlotte, 15 points on five for 10 shooting in 19 minutes, second preseason game against the Knicks, 19 points, five rebounds and a steal on seven for seven for 15 shooting two of two of three for three point range in 18 minutes. So he's putting up legitimate production um, in, in, in a smaller role in terms of minutes played. Now, granted the, the, the Hornets and the Knicks, We've expressed our concerns about both of those teams on this podcast, but he's shown versatility, scoring the ball, defending his position, affecting the game on the glass, and his athleticism on the wing is something the team does. It doesn't have more of outside of him, right? And Stephen, that's something we talked about when we were going off of which fits do we actually like in the draft the most. We talked about Benedict Mather being mm-hmm. one of those fits. So how he can play off of Halliburton, Duarte, and the bigs could be a massive boon for the Pacers later in the year or sooner if deals are found for some of those other guys. So Steven, would he be ready to start now? Yes. Is that, yes. is that just a very, very simple <laughs> yes? yes. Like, ne- ne- like next absolutely. question, move on. Well, like, it's, it, it's an easy answer threes. for you because you were very high on him in, in the previous. Yeah, he process. was, a, he was a top seven player for me. And I, I think that he kind of fell victim to the West coast bias that people get is like, are you staying up late to watch Benedict Matherin? Like, I've said this, I've wrote about this countless times, like the things that people said that he needed to improve on, they stayed the same all season long because I'm quite convinced that people just didn't stay up to watch it. You know, like they said that he needed to improve as a playmaker, done. Said that he needed to improve as a defender, done. Said that he needed to improve as a shooter, done. Like he did all of those things all season long. He's athletic. Like we see that now on NBA film and we didn't want to look at it last year on college film, right? 
And there's a lot of pro prospects on this team. He shoots, he slashes, he cuts, he passes, he defends, he rebounds. He's playing with Tyrese Halliburton. Yes, he is quite literally ready to start and make noise in the NBA, Nathan. Brett, you were, we're kind of bringing you into our corner for this question, right? What, what do you think about Benedict Matherin? I love what I've seen. I've actually watched as much of him as possible this preseason. Like the game I didn't see, like I, I caught up on all the all the highlights and everything. Like he looks like a, a bona fide three-level scorer. Like he's already demonstrated that against NBA competition. And like, it's not just that he scores from three levels, but he's so aggressive in doing mm -hmm. it. Like, yeah. There's no hesitation, man. Like he's going downhill and bumping into people and looking for his shot, you know, curling off screens, dribble handoffs. Like he's scored in a pretty impressive variety of ways in a really aggressive manner that you don't usually see in a, a rookie wing in his first NBA action, you know, his first few games. So he has been as advertised for sure. So far, the athleticism definitely holds up at the NBA level. Yep. Like he's, he's athletic by NBA standards. No question. Um, he's got a good frame, good body. Like I agree. I, I think he should start. I think he's good enough to start. I'm with you on that. The question is like, so Miles Turner obviously is starting. Uh, Jalen Smith has been promised a starting job. Buddy Heald, until he gets traded, is starting. So it's Duarte or, or, or Benedict. And, like, I think Matherin should start. I think his ceiling is a lot higher than Duarte's. I think Duarte's a really nice player, but I think he's just going to have to be the bench guy. And I think you just start Matherin and, and let him cook. I mean, I think he's like a dark horse to lead all rookies in scoring. Depending on what happens with these agree. other Pacers guys, like, you know, he could average like 16, 17 points a game if they trade Heald and they trade Turner and they just let him go wild. Like, I think he'll be top three in shot attempts among rookies for sure. He's got a ton of opportunity there and they invested a lot in him and, and with a really high pick in, in a good draft. So um, he's he's the one rookie, I think, out of a lot of these other top picks who we're talking about, I guess. You can make an argument for Keegan Murray having De'Aaron Fox be able to feed him the ball, but I think Halliburton's the best passer that any of these rookies have. So mm -hmm. we talk about guys who can actually set him up for shots in his spots. He is, to, to lead all rookies in scoring, he's going to get the best looks, in my opinion, out of anybody outside of any that could be self-generated from a Paolo or a Jabari or, or, or anything like that. So Really good, really good coaching. You know, yeah, really good yep, coaching, really, really good table setter. And like, and it's not a position they're terribly deep at. Like, and it's like, if you look at their kind of young building blocks, it's Halliburton, Isaiah Jackson, probably Jalen Smith. Like they need a, a big athletic, high scoring two guard, small forward. Like they need a, they need a, like a star wing. And like, that's the kind of upside he has. That's who they drafted him to be. And I think you just let him cook right out the gate, I give him it. those reps. And, uh, and I think he Let's could be go. a positive contributor. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I've been very impressed with what I've seen. They're, they're, they're not going to be trying to win a lot of games anyways. So pl yeah. play Matherin, give him the runway, and let's let's see what he can do. Do not call him an empty stat or empty calorie player, or I will scream. <laughs> like, I, I refuse to think that he's going to be that level, like he's going to be no. that type of player in the NBA. Steven will leap oh. off of your screen and quite literally come play. <laughs> yes, yes, he will. That is Whoever you are. No, I'm just <laughs> Last but not least. The Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons always hold a very near and dear place in my heart. Shout out Molly Hunter of the overstated NBA group. We, we saved the best for last, Molly. Don't worry. So, Brett, my question around the Pistons is, was the Boyan Bogdanovich edition one of the most mm. important additions from a developmental perspective across the entire NBA? 
So he's a proven vet who is a legitimate spacer from the corners in the wing. Career, 39% from three, 44.6% on corner threes. The combination of having Bay and Boyan in each corner spreads the defense incredibly wide for both Cade and Ivy. Both are capable playmakers who can make the kickout passes to the corner. Having to force defense to pay attention to both shooters means more isolation and pick and roll opportunities without having to worry about help and blitzes away from the basket. That plays to Cade and Ivy's strength as creators in space, going back to the best of what made them top prospects in college and giving Ivy the space to get downhill and finish at the rim. That's already paying dividends in the preseason, right? Ivy's looked really good at times in the preseason, particularly that, that first game of his um, against the Knicks, 16 points on six for nine shooting one for one from three point range. His second game, it was a rookie game, guys, against the Pelicans, 14 points, six assists, but he had seven turnovers, two of 12 shooting. That, that's going to happen for a rookie, right? But when you just break out the film in terms of what he actually did well, man, you can tell that his game-breaking speed, it's, we knew it was going to translate to the NBA. It already is. But that, that Bogdanovich trade solidifying Brett, both corners, that's going to help those guys so much. I love that Troy Weaver went out and did that. What, what do you make of the move? Yeah, I mean, I just I think an under-discussed thing with development of young players in the NBA is the environment in which they're developing and, like, the functionality thereof. Like, is this – you know, like, I, I this bothers me with Oklahoma City the last couple of years. Like, that, that offense has just been so bad. Like, they've just had no spacing. And it's like, how do you expect these young guys to develop as, as well as they can when they've got no space to work with? And, um, and, and the Pistons are going to have some spacing. Now, this was my biggest concern with them coming off of last season was like, who do they have that can shoot? Like, okay, they've got livers, great shooter beyond that. I mean, they picked up Alec Burks, but like Bay's Bay. Bay a good shooter, but like, I, I think it was definitely their, their biggest weakness. Burks is a sure. mid range cooker. Killian Hayes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not buying Ooh, the Killian no. Hayes stuff. I'm just not doing it. So, so no. yeah, to outside of that, like, they, they need shooting from other spots. Amadou yeah, Diallo, he's not a shooter. Like, no. Kelly Olenek? It, it, Kelly well, Olenek's he, gone, he, man. Kelly Olenek's but he gone, was, baby. He's, he's going to be he, cooking was, with Larry Markkinen. Yep. I was going to say for, la, for, for the previous yeah. year. Yeah, I was talking about him like before this trade. I was like, all right, maybe he could help them like in the same way that Boyan's going to help them. But yeah. Boyan's just a much better version or a much better shooter, um, floor spacer. Because I mean, he's he's legit like top tier. 45% like, from the corner. Quicker Holy release, smokes. too. Yeah. I, Oh yeah. He's, he's an unbelievable shooter. If you look at like the last three seasons, you could make an argument as like a top, you know, four shooter probably in the NBA for him. He's, he's really up there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's huge. Like it, it's the ingredients around Cade are starting to come together. You know, you've mm -hmm. got this garden Ivy that can pressure the rim constantly slash just attack speed, you know, then you've got the, the, the big, he, he, I, I'm not the biggest Marvin Bagley guy, but he's a bit of a vertical threat. Like he's a guy that can catch lobs at least, which is something K didn't have most of last season. And now you've got an elite shooter in Bojan. You've got another good shooter in Bay out there. You've got a, a, a great shooter in Livers. Like you've got, you know, like you, uh, maybe you've got like some stretch big potential in like Isaiah Stewart. Like that's something that we'll see if that's for real. Um, but I don't know. I just think they're, they're, they're putting kind of the right ingredients around Cade and like, these aren't necessarily going to be like their long-term guys, especially Bogdanovich. Like he's, he's probably just there for this season. Who knows? Um, but you know, for the sake of development, it's great. Like you want to have those ingredients around you. And I think that's what they're doing. And I wish more teams would do that. Like I, I'm always like, why doesn't OKC just sign a guy like not even at his level, but like, you know, just somebody to space the floor. 
Um, this this hogwash, by the way, that I'm hearing, if, if Boyan does not start for this Pistons team, somebody go in there and, and, and start well, fire. They paid Bagley so, $40 million. That's I true. don't care what they paid Marvin Bagley. You, yeah. you start, you start that Boyan was they next got to Isaiah bogey. Stewart. It was. And, you have two of the best corner spaces that we have yeah. in the entire NBA. No, you got to let these young guys cook, man. Let them cook. I agree, and but to kind of answer your question, I love I love the acquisition, and um, I think it is one of the more important ones from a developmental standpoint. Maybe the most important one if you look at the way he's gonna he's gonna facilitate the development. But yeah, man, I I hope he's. St- I want to see him and and Stewart starting Bagley coming off the bench despite his big contract. Stephen, hope for hope for Pistons fans this year to close out the pod. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's fun to see. You know, Brett did a great job of breaking down, you know, all the positives that it gives, like all your other perimeter prospects. But even for a big who, Nathan, that you know that I'm really big on, Jalen Duran and yep. his post playmaking potential that he has a reliable guy that he can kick the ball out to if he's starting to get, you know, ahead of steam with his strength and athleticism, like just bullying other NBA bigs and he can get rolling in the paint. That helps him out having a real like not saying he's going to be Dwight Howard, but look at what Dwight Howard had when he was in Orlando developing as a big man. He had reliable three point threats that he could kick the ball out to on a on a nightly basis on almost every angle that he could whip a ball to. Right. So that helps developing big men, even even beef stew, you know, not a player that we've known to be associated with great post playmaking. But this, again, gives him another opportunity to be able to expound upon his game. This is an A-plus move in development, even though the age doesn't line up with the developmental curve. It, it helps the developmental curve because it gives a wider variety of offense to be run for these young guys to grow in and experience. So I think it's a total A-plus move. And if anything, even if you do want to trade him, he looks better on a developing team. He's a, he helps him to be a winner. It helps him be a great locker room guy. It helps him to be even more at this value as opposed to being a you know, 15, 18 minute per game guy on a, on a deep loaded team. I mean, it helps him shine. You're, you're enhancing his trade value at the same time, even if you need to do that. So it's a win in every direction to me. Yeah. I mean, if he plays starters minutes, like you could be looking at 17, 18 points a game. I mean, he's going to, he's going to score a lot of points on this team. If he's, he's, he's going to get his minutes. looks. Yep. He, he is. And, and that's, you make a great point about Duran. It's like, he might not be getting a ton of minutes this season, but like when he's out there, like you can almost think of Boyan as like a placeholder. Cause it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we have this vision of Duran in the future. And in that vision, there's shooters around him. There's guys like Boyan. So it's not going to be Boyan three, four years from now, but it's going to be somebody else. And like, why not just put him in that sort of environment from the jump, you know, what you ultimately want it to be create a version of that right away. And I, I kind of get the sense that that's what they're doing. And I'll say this, man, I, I feel this way. I think there's, I think one of these teams that we kind of project as like bottom five, six, seven teams, whatever, is going to really like be a lot better than people think. And I think the Pistons would probably be my pick. If you, if you told me like one of these projected bottom tier teams is going to like make the plan, it, I'd probably go with the Pistons. Cause they've, I mean, they're not that bad on paper by any they're, means they're not they're and, really not who knows how good Cade's going to be this year and I mean I think they could actually make a little bit of noise I agree 100% be be bright be bold and be bright on the mm. young Detroit Pistons I love it that was a great way to end out this podcast but 
That's going to do it for part one, our Eastern Conference 30 questions for 30 NBA teams. We we gave Brett the floor. We did all the plugs at the beginning of the podcast. We will save the rest of the plugs and, and the proper outro for part two of the podcast, which you can find on the same podcast feed the following day. So just make sure you subscribe to the Draft Deeper podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, to catch both episodes. But until next time, We'll, we'll, we'll see you back on the feed for part two. Take care, everybody. 